Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Tim Heydrich. We have a guest tonight. He's the live director of Harmontown. Hi there. My name is Chris Boroff. And you guys are taking internships right right now, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no. Just, you don't want to hand out your Twitter handle or anything that people can directly message you? I mean, people can hit me up on my uh, my Twitter account. It's just I can't get them a job. Oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> so it's fine. They can reach out to me all they want. So it's just uh, people saying hi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. Yeah, uh, K Boroff, that's me at at K Boroff. Right there. I don't go. know. Were you really asking for that, or is this a, was this a troll? Is this a fish? This is a troll, of okay. course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All uh, right. Because yeah, more than um, your your close personal work with Dan Harmon, uh, you have a, <laughs> uh, a connection to the movie that we're reviewing. Yes. Which uh, <laughs> goes, goes much deeper and way back to the to the times of yours. Jen, do you want to introduce it? Sure. But first, I want to know: uh, Do people call you Borf? Uh, some people do. Uh, Sarah doesn't. Sarah calls me Chris, and everybody in Harmontown just calls me like Chris now because it would be since I'm married to Sarah, it would be very awkward if she kept calling me Borif. Yeah. Or, or any, you know, <laughs> it, it's Borif is my wife's name. Please. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I don't get it that much anymore. But uh, yeah, I can always tell where I've met people in life based off if they call me that or not because I can tell if they like, you know. Yeah, they come from a period of time where I had friends versus a time when I've just worked so much. <laughs> and for the audience at home, it's spelled B O R F. That's not how his <laughs> that's not how his last name is spelled. Right. But when you address him, that's how you say it. Right. It's Borf. <laughs> well, I said I threw it to you unless Chris wants to introduce it. I mean, I could because I I just want to put it out there that. You know, the Ghostbusters franchise is a much beloved uh, comedy, I don't want to say horror movie, but it's a much beloved franchise. Uh, and um, they had added to it. Well, it was a much beloved movie. Right, okay. And much, then they yeah. made a couple other movies. Yeah, then they made another Ghostbusters movie that I am sorry is just, it It really ruined the, the name of Ghostbusters. And people I know have been <laughs> fighting online about this Ghostbusters movie. And I know that there are people who hold differing opinions on it that are very strongly held but tonight we're going to finally address 2007's return of the ghostbusters <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh hank hank braxton's uh, directorial uh it wasn't a debut he did a whole bunch of shit before this uh fan films fan films this, yeah. is a fan this was a film. little movie that yeah. came out of denver much like uh, yeah. much like we did with wonder boy we're delving back into the depths of fandom, which is a terrible place. Yeah, it's, well, it's kind of an anything goes wasteland, really. Where, because, uh, where, yeah, it's like I like this media property, and man, I would love to live it. And what's more, I like to make other people share my little sick fantasy. Right. Yeah, and I don't exactly remember why we ended up talking about this movie. I think it was my idea, and I'm really sorry, I... but because I knew that. You no, it's have fine. a personal yeah, connection no. to yeah, it. That's yeah. fine. Like the fact that we're connected to this one, yes, because it is yeah. a real bad movie. Chris is actually uh, 
tangentially related to this movie. I don't want to say related. Involved? <laughs> I don't want to put this I'm on not, you. I'm not culpable in any fashion. Right. Yeah, we yeah. should no. emphasize he, that. Chris washes his hands of this movie yeah. entirely. Well, the reason I discovered this is it's not normally a thing that I would ever watch because why would I want to watch a shitty carbon copy? Why would you want to watch a, a, a poor simulation? A uh, I, why would anybody want to waste this much time, effort, and money on something that's not official or real yeah. or something original just due to the fact that, like, even if you made it good, where the fuck are you going to take it? Where are you going to go? Are you going to show it in your mom's house? Your mom won't sue you. You show it outside. You try to get someone to pay you money for it. They're going to sue you. They're going to want that money you just stole from somebody else stealing their fucking intellectual property and trying to take a dump on it, putting your fucking girlfriend in the lead role. <laughs> it, it's like having someone else's baby. You're like, I put a lot of work into this. Here. Surrogacy. Um, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, so I should also mention I worked at Loot Crate briefly, and one of the main things we put out there was fan films. Oh, okay. Oh, well, my God. Yeah. So oh, you're yeah. intimately uh, involved with this then. Yeah. <laughs> Not with this film, but with the idea of fandom. I, I worked on other stuff, but yeah, it's always awkward when someone works so hard on something and then they show it to you and it has the desperation of like, I don't know, like a bird with a broken wing looking at you where it's like, oh, I made this. Please save me. And you're like, no, this is bad. I'm not going to tell you this is good just because you're have a broken wing yeah but it's that wing that you already like yeah it's from a bird that you used to love and we broke its wing and now what do you think you appreciate aviation right right, right? these oh, metaphors God. are getting a little deep here yeah well there is actually a lot to say about fandom and desperation mm -hmm. and it's a huge part of the reason why i basically repudiated fandom of various kinds after spending so much time in it you know like i spent a lot of time following celebrities, following around celebrities, being really into celebrities, like stalking celebrities. It yeah. basically it consuming celebrities. <laughs> That's how you make them a party. Forever. <laughs> and it takes up so much of your life and it, again, just like with a fan film, mm -hmm. to what end exactly? Now, I and I don't necessarily want to malign people who do fan things like, you know, writing fan fiction or stuff like that. You know, people often do it as like a side hobby, but the problem is, is that fandom is such a incredibly all-encompassing and toxic, despicable creature in our culture, like embodying yeah. a lot of the worst of capitalism and the commodification of human feeling and joy. I think yeah. Jen's really mincing her words here. <laughs> uh, the, the other thing that I that more am I than, wrong? More than more than what I, Jen's saying, <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think more so that if fandom produced something like Return of the Ghostbusters, then yes, it should absolutely be repudiated. Because you can go on YouTube and you can watch what is basically a, a feature-length student film. Why you would want to watch it is beyond us, other than, let's say you went to school with a guy uh, like Chris. Yes, yes, I went to school with Hank Braxton, the director of this. Uh, the I think director, was, writer, producer. Yeah, yeah, he put his name in the credits about 16 times because it was film school and for some reason they pad out every credit sequence with as many mentions of people's names to make it look as though they had a large crew when they didn't yeah, do I, much. Yeah, I can do visual effects, yeah, I can do mm -hmm, makeup, whatever mm -hmm. you need. Now, which uh, film school was this so people can look up all the former <laughs> colleagues that you're disparaging? Oh yeah, it was a <laughs> University of Colorado at Denver. Um, specifically, it was the film program, the CFVA, I think. And uh, I should also mention that that the one CFNM program. Well, <laughs> it was funny because the <laughs> school, the school that like made this, got kicked out of the university. 
so like the school where this happened was essentially like uh i, I don't want to say uh con artist but i kind of will say it was a con artist school not like c-a-n-n-e-s not that kind of con artist i <laughs> oh jesus sorry i had to spell that in my head <laughs> just okay. just fuck off Tim <laughs> fine <laughs> alright no um but yeah it was just weird because what happened well, was they so just was, made it so it was basically a for profit <laughs> college it's a for profit college but it was like partially local it was like a community college and then the other half was the state college and the problem is is they lost their charter for the state college part of that and I think they're at Regis now um but weird projects like this would come up because it would be a small college where people would have some money and they'd throw it at like a very small project and occasionally kids would come in and decide like this where we're going to make Return of the Ghostbusters and somehow talk the people who ran the building into giving them the equipment to do it. Hmm. Uh, Which is a, a surprising con unto itself. Well, I mean, it was, it was bizarre there. The con in this case was more that like the guy who ran the school wanted to make his own feature films in Denver and was hoping to use all the students as like free labor. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And it we got it shows yeah i think the real problem is that uh what chris and i were experiencing watching this movie is reliving all those like traumatic film school experiences of like because i can't think of the number of times that myself included naive students are like i have a great story to tell and i'm damn you know damn it i'm gonna tell it but i'm gonna do it with like borrowed props like i'm gonna shoot it in my apartment i may have one or two lights i'm gonna use actors who are are so like low in their career they will work for free or we, anybody who shows up or whoever just shows up mm -hmm. and like and i'm gonna use a script that i think is goddamn brilliant because it sounds a lot like the directors that i like mm -hmm. um but without any like concise voice of my own and just like going through that and seeing like every scene in that like the overall style of return of the ghostbusters is just mm -hmm. echoing that like i don't know like inept egotistical film student attitude yeah, it's like watching a, a lemming run over a cliff yeah. like you're like yeah that's a bad idea oh there he goes there he goes yeah, yeah. and there's another one behind him oh <laughs> where do i sign my check provost <laughs> 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 oh yeah so this wasn't a class project. No, it wasn't. This essentially grew up around a sort of, um, let's call it a polycule of cosplayers. Yeah, like the the guy. Is that like a Egon. murder of crows? <laughs> <laughs> polycule. Um, yeah, it was uh, the guys there were cosplayers. I think one of the guys who was the like Spengler in the film, and I think he also did the digital effects. But his whole thing was that he was a cosplayer, and they had built all these props and had gone through, and uh, they thought it was great, and they I believe made a film that just referenced different things so they could show off the props at different times. Okay. Less, you know, having a purpose in the film that then build a prop for instead making a scene in the film where so they could just show off a prop. The prop cart before the prop horse. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it does beg the question then of, you know, why one needs to make a film when one could just as well cosplay on their own. Like, you, yeah. Like, the, my takeaway from this is that like playing pretend used to be a lot less expensive when I was a kid, but that's basically what mm -hmm. we're watching. And I mean, not to denigrate the um, medium of film, <laughs> but too late. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but like this does really come across that way where it's like saying, I like dressing up. I like cosplaying. Um, I think that other people should be subjected to my interests. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, to be fair, cosplay is a really huge um, subculture. There are people who are really into this. I have friends who cosplay. 
Um, it, but mostly they do it, you know, they'll do their photo shoots or they'll go to conventions and they'll make sure to get photos and have fun. And it's yeah. like, mm -hmm. again, like I don't really do fandom anymore, um, well, yeah, well, but it's like, okay, you know, if that's how you want to spend your time, that's fine. Again, but... like nothing against cosplay, let cosplay be cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be clear, like the reason I I take issue with this isn't the fact that they're doing cosplay, it's the fact the movie's fucking boring. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we might have gotten off track there. That's really, we're bearing the lead. Because <laughs> if you wanted to sum up this movie, it starts with like the, uh, um, do you guys mind it? if I curse, by the way? Oh no! Oh, okay, yeah. good. Good. It, it, it starts with like a recap of like the high point second act montage from the first Ghostbusters, where it's like showing like oh here they are on like the covers of magazines and like here they're all they're all really popular. Um, and yeah, so, it's like an exact remake of that montage. Yeah. Well, I guess I should say is it, it first starts off with the campfire scene. Well, but, yeah, the first scene. But the uh, movie starts off like, uh, well, it starts off in like the high point, which is weird. Yes. Because it then loses its way for the next 20 minutes. Yeah, it is very strangely structured because it does introduce you to the characters in the first spooky scene, which uh, is a bunch of douchebags sitting around a, a campfire. Mm -hmm. And a ghost surges out of the fire and then the Ghostbusters show up. So you get to briefly meet them. Um, yeah, and... it, it's a it's it's a cold open that would work in context of something that's not awful. But yeah. in this case, <laughs> if, but, but if you just ended it after the cold open, I think you'd have a really kind yeah. of solid short. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a short ass fan film. Um, and you meet you meet the the characters of Ghostbusters who are basically a bro, a nerd, and a foreigner. Right. So you got your your was there classroom? a foreigner? Oh yes, there was a that that guy had just a terrible accent. Now I even know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, yeah, because you have the Venkman simulacrum, who's mm -hmm. basically like this this douche. Yeah, he and again in the like montage where they're being covered by the news is like, oh, and blah blah, blah and self-described ladies man or whatever, and it's like he's not a ladies man; he's a douchebag asshole. Yeah, <laughs> which in, like they kind of fairness, miss those subtleties about the Venkman character. Yeah, in that you know, yeah. the, the innate charm, I guess. Which, which is funny because I've showed Ghostbusters to a millennial, and she's like, Venkman's a creep. <laughs> and like, oh, he's yeah. you know, kind of a model that guys my age kind of set ourselves after in terms of, you know, being yeah. a cool, witty guy. But yeah, the, the, and that's the why Me Too culture. happened. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, but it, like, yes, the original came out in 1984, so maybe that doesn't, that doesn't wear as well I, but yeah, it, it's similar to like the uh uh revenge of the nerds like there's something well, in it where you're like oh oh god you're oh, like, you're like oh, oh shit that's rape oh in, yes oh, in defense yeah, of the original ghostbusters it doesn't have a rape scene right yeah and uh, also too the movie's made well up i mean it does real. have dan Aykroyd getting filleted by a ghost that when was he a wasn't dream. into it that's true but yeah. they don't have the footage to say it was a dream they cut that out and left it on the cutting room floor right oh yeah so <laughs> But um, yeah. in defense of there Venkman, is a rape scene in Ghostbusters. I realized that um, he has the opportunity to sleep with Sigourney Weaver, and she's totally out of it, and not yeah. in her right mind. Yeah. But he doesn't. Yeah, this thing he he hits on her, but he isn't like a sleaze bag. But I mean, yeah. that's what do you want? It's it's this character. He's a he's just kind of a, a layabout. Basically, he's a, Ghostbusters is an incredibly dark movie, guys. Yeah. Like no one really, everyone thinks it's a comedy, but like it's it's this horrible vision vision of the afterlife, 
where they don't bother worrying about why these people have come back from the dead and are floating around. They just want to contain that shit. They're yeah, like, nope, nope. All yeah. these problems just got to go into this away box it's, forever. It's the emergence of a... That's very Reagan of, era. It's the I emerg- mean, he did the, he did the same thing with the AIDS crisis it's in an, the U.S. It's the emergence... <laughs> It's the emergence of a new exploitable natural resource that you can profit off of. <laughs> and it's also um, kind of an anti-environmentalist movie. Yeah, I mean, this I know. Is, we're, this we're, has been pointed we're out. We're basically like a parodying times. Cracked at this point. Yeah. Um, and we're also talking about a much better movie right now than Return of. Well, like, anything rather? we can do to not talk about Return of the Ghostbusters because but, it starts with a you know <clears throat> different a a fine enough student film campfire scene. Then this montage oh, of establishing characters that well, we already you, are familiar the, with. The, the campfire scene, you essentially meet the characters. You meet uh, the Venkman analog. Uh, mm-hmm. You meet the Egon analog. Um, and then there's a foreigner. There, he's a Ray analog. Yes, because they show him on a magazine with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He smokes. That's Ray's character. Oh my god, is that mm-hmm. literally it? That's it? Mm. This is a student film, Jen. It's yeah, not I good. Know, I know. Yeah. I know. I know that. But you're like, yeah. you're a fan of the film. Like, you don't uh, think like, how do we make this guy like, like? Yeah. The thing uh, is, I don't. Stance. I just. Yeah. Ray stance. You know, right. I mean, Hank isn't a bad guy as a person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, is oh, like back know. in like high in in college, not high school. Like everybody was probably like 23, 24. Um, I don't think he was always up on it with uh, subtext. Like it was usually like yeah. the over text would be kind of the main thing you'd say. Like it wouldn't be like about you know. You definitely see that in the dialogue. Yeah. In that it people is... say what they are supposed to want, not any yeah, sort of. Yeah, that's all there is to it. Yeah. There's a there's a scene in the um, firehouse because I guess there's a fire a station in Denver um, <laughs> where they're able to shoot the exteriors of this. Um, where they have the Janine analog, who I think Chris, you pointed out that she probably is just a an administrative person at this university. Yeah, I vaguely remember. I think she just worked in the front office. Like she was just <laughs> one of the ladies. Yeah, again, and that's kind of the that film school aesthetic, which is just like, oh, you showed up, you're our lead. Yeah, sure. you could kind of plausibly cosplay as Janine. Right. You have glasses, and you can put your hair up. You, you have... have none of Annie Potts's. Uh... Sassy charm, yeah. well, but and I think moreover, she didn't say no. Yeah, that's the important that was, thing. You reflect yeah. light, and you can recite dialogue. Yeah. Those are the two things that yeah. I need. So yeah, so there's a scene of that, and again, lacking any of the uh, subtext uh, that the director doesn't seem to possess. Um, any kind of uh, charm from the uh, Venkman analog character, and the uh, Janine uh, character is just a stand-in from. Some someone who worked at the university. I just realized that if you actually made Venkman a straight up date rapist, he would come across like the the Venkman analog in this movie. Okay, there you go. Yeah, because <laughs> that's really that's really the vibe you get. And and then yeah. and the movie seems to spend the next twenty minutes establishing various plot lines that don't come together. Well, it's there's, very meandering. There's a reporter who wants to be an anchor, which I guess that's her motivation. Going back to our Loon Large episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she, I, I was never clear on her relationship with Vinkman because it seemed like they had history, but I couldn't quite tease that out. Because and it sounded, I mean, it looked like they were trying to make her be the Sigourney Weaver character, right? Um, but they, uh, I don't think it, it, to really like nail the issue with this is I don't think there was a a great degree of like emotional intelligence to the arcs for these characters because people would get angry and sad and happy and, and just be present 
yeah. randomly. Yeah. Yeah, because in one scene she'd be steaming mad at him, and in the next mm -hmm. scene they would literally be going on a date. Yeah. Um, Lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, and the other thing is, okay, so we established her. Um, she also later is dating what turns out to be the villain, a um, like an archaeologist or something. No, that this is the thing. The archaeologist was a completely different guy. There was an archaeologist who found the amulet. Okay, yeah, an archaeologist yeah. finds an amulet that we find out about via the news. Yeah. Although the news doesn't want to cover the Ghostbusters, even though because like, the Ghostbusters are really popular, as you can see from yeah. this montage. But nobody wants to do a story on the Ghostbusters because who the fuck are the Ghostbusters? Yeah, the other thing I just realized is they might uh, they might have uh, just not let us know that that was like a flash forward. That might have been them at the end of the movie, not at the start of the movie when no one knew who the hell they were. But then, like, why is there coverage of Den why are they Denver Ghostbusters? They're New York Ghostbusters. Like, what's yeah. happening to them? They allude they, to. Tim. They allude, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> They, 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 they allude to twice, the Manhattan though. Ghostbusters. They do mention them, and they do. There is an allusion to Doctor Stans. You know, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's all it's all in universe. And it couldn't be a flash forward because they do the same magazine montage at the end. They got covers oh, yeah. of like Rolling Stone and um, like Entertainment Weekly, which only makes sense in the terms of like if you're an aspiring director. Uh, guns and Ammo <laughs> makes an appearance. It's like, that's odd. Not really. Did people read magazines in 2007? I know they don't read them now. It was because it was in the first movie, Jen. That's the only reason. Yeah, Just like various other lines taken from the movie that are then repeated with none of the original like charm or uh, enjoyment or gravitas or, or any of that. Because that's the problem with making a fan film is that you're just going to end up with a, 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 a poor shoddy version of something that you liked. Well, yeah. and that's... Um, and this is that's, that's a problem with fan product a lot of the time is that you're just trying to hit particular checkpoints. You're checking... Fan things, service, if you will? Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. checking things off a list, things that gave you... You're looking for the same free zone that you got when you initially saw it in the theater. You know, or played the game, or watched the TV show, or whatever, and it's never as good. But that little zap of recognition yeah. is even today. Like, still, people still try to pitch that as being enough. Well, it's yeah. an it's an easy get. It's an easy laugh, or whatever. I, I feel like this really prefigured stuff like Stranger Things. Okay, it's like, hey, you like the eighties? Yeah, made a show about right. the 80s yeah nostalgia nostalgia porn like yes. that was a lot of this uh this was pretty common at that time like people had started making these at different levels like mostly people were doing like the star wars fan films and stuff like that oh yeah oh droids that, yep. no, yeah that yep yep so everybody wanted to be that and right. uh oh yeah troops. yeah the troops. One. Yep. Yeah. yeah yep that was really charming and yeah again that's when like oh you'd find like uh, you know, this really compressed real media copy of mm -hmm. it, and you just watch that endlessly. It'd be like, look, this guy, he somehow made, like, with a computer, like, ships flying mm -hmm. over live video. How do you even do that? Yeah. And at the time, it was exciting just to see somebody who had, like, built those costumes. Because, yeah. you know, like, living in the Midwest, like, oh my God, people can just build things? <laughs> you can do <laughs> stuff on your yeah. own. So, yeah. And the problem is, like, out of best intentions, again, comes mm -hmm. the real Ghostbusters, or the Return of the Ghostbusters. Yeah, so you have um, you have your Sigourney Weaver analog, 
who's possibly in a relationship with Bankman Analog or not. I don't know. Could be either one. Yeah, it's a very confused plot structure. And Oh, we were talking about the guy. There's a guy who found the amulet, but the real villain is the guy who starts using the amulet to mm -hmm. collect souls. Yeah, because... And, and then... he does this in Denver. Yeah. Well, because you know, it's a lawless yeah. town. You can you get know, away with a well, lot. They, they also have just things that don't make any sense in the movie, like the fact that the villain is in a wheelchair when they introduce him. Like, why is this guy in a wheelchair? And then he's suddenly not in a wheelchair. It's so they could make a really hilarious joke using the word cripple at the end. Oh. Well, it's because he gets out of the wheelchair when he has, like, the power of the oh. souls. Yeah. Oh, that's the yeah, power. Yeah, he, he's in a wheelchair, and then he sucks up souls, and that makes him strong enough to walk. Sorry, yes. that, uh, that might have been during my grand mal seizure. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, you'd be forgiven for missing a minor point like that. Yeah, I'll I'll leave it up to um, disabled activists to pick apart um, the ableism in this oh, film. Yeah, because we were so on board with these characters up until that point. <laughs> uh, um, but there's um, this guy has the amulet, and he's sucking up souls. No, he doesn't suck up souls. Like he needs a mechanism to do that first. Meanwhile, That's, yes. Yeah. Meanwhile, the like figurative, quote unquote, crazy shit happens of a screenplay, which is just, I don't know, do Ghostbusters stuff. This is a Ghostbusters movie. What's some things that you like from that movie? Put that in here too. Um, so they pick a bar fight. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just, mm -hmm. Now. Do you guys remember that really hilarious scene in the original Ghostbusters where there were no ghosts whatsoever or even talk about busting ghosts, but they uh -huh. picked a completely random bar fight with a guy? Yeah, mm -hmm. and when Ray turns, a, a, turns to a woman at a bar and says, I know who wants to beat your ass, and the woman's like, who? And then, you know, Ray stands. <laughs> the character played by Dan Aykroyd says, my balls. Oh, God. And she and she strokes his hair and says, "You're cute." Yeah, well, it's because then, it's a masterful pickup line. And this woman is never addressed again. The sister of the wife of the director, or something. You know, I was just a guess because it's like they all start looking alike after a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and like again, this was shot in like two forty p. It's like shot with an ancient camera, so like picking up fine details, like who who's this person versus that person, gets really tricky but, in some scenes. But Chris, it's digital video, <laughs> like it's clear and pristine. And you know what's funniest about that bit is that I remembered it completely differently. I just remembered him asking her, "Hey, do you want to like?" Because the setup of the scene was that um, you know Venkman's feeling down, mm -hmm. so Pavel, the foreigner, Pavel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's talking. He's talking to Venkman, saying, "No, you know, you just got to be confident." And he's like, "I'll show you." Turns to a woman and then delivers this disgusting pickup line. The way I remembered it was just him saying, "Hey, do you want to go back to my place and fuck?" And her saying, "Okay." Okay. Well, I mean... that was how I remembered it. And then seeing it again, it's actually so much worse. Yeah. yeah. Because this is something that uh, Chris had pointed out about a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the scenes is that it's just a film student thing. Why am I saying what you pointed out? I mean, you can you can do that. You can right, reiterate. Cool. Did I say it on air? Here, here. <laughs> let me just put my hand over Chris's mouth so I can finish my thought. Um, no, it was that like it was just that. Nine Eleven was an inside job. <laughs> 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 it's that um, the just that screen like that film student screenwriter notion of like not knowing when to end a scene or like how to pace things. Yeah, and just the scenes just drag and don't go anywhere. Where it's it's you know the Venkman um, stand-in, he turns to a, a guy who's talking shit about the Denver Ghostbusters, mm -hmm. and and like the two of them argue, and they again like they make some really 
florid insults because you know the, no one loves their own words more than a student screenwriter mm-hmm. and and chris is just like okay so they're gonna fight okay so they're gonna fight okay so they're gonna fight and like um, this goes on for a minute like, yeah it's like two minutes pass like they come up and it's like oh oh dicks are gonna come out they're gonna be a slapping and then nope it's like two more minutes of oh you you want to go you want to go oh i want to go oh you want to go oh i want to go your face looks like a big smelly butt <laughs> see it's funny because oh, they're bad at insulting each other right right but, and yeah. then that was the point where chris yelled out they're gonna fight <laughs> <laughs> like just get to the Right. Does it cut to the chase, yeah, if you will? It just doesn't make sense. It's weird when you look at student films because lots of times it's like people that um, are maybe first learning how to play music or something okay. that requires rhythm and understanding pacing and the different movements and parts of music. And right. they've got all the necessary parts there, but they don't know when to stop. So it's like someone doing like the happy birthday song and then they just keep doing extra refrains after the fucking end of the song. We're like, I get it. It's a birthday. It happened. You're being happy about it. Yes. Thank you. Fucking stop. Anyway, here's anyway. Wonderwall. You got yourself in a tailspin. <laughs> yeah, you got yourself yeah, it in is a tailspin. Like, it is kind of like that where it's like, yeah, you can play like the first little bit of Wonderwall, but it's just like, I just got to keep practicing. But it's like, man, it just if I never hear like the, you know that, that refrain again, I'll be fine. Yes. So. And I do want to say that this isn't the worst looking z-grade picture that i've seen okay i won't say that the guy is completely talentless as a director i mean he like it's i would say that he's probably maybe no i don't know if i can say that because he's still working his yeah Yeah, that's that's the real takeaway here his um his shot choice is okay maybe his you were pointing out his compositions or not i mean not what they could be the editing when they're using it well has you know a decent amount of snap it's not bad it's just it feels like a student endeavor Mm -hmm. and it's the kind of thing where you'd see it you'd maybe be like you know i could definitely see this guy falling into a job directing a car show hosted by adam carolla is that what he did yes oh god yeah oh boy okay well that happens yeah (laughs) Oh. But he just directed another feature called Snake Out of Compton. Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for that and I almost shit my pants because <laughs> I saw it and I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. This is still happening. And then, <laughs> I and can't it, wake up from this nightmare. And, and uh, his his um, girlfriend, now wife, is uh, in that. She also plays uh, Annie. They're not Annie Potts. She plays the Sigourney <laughs> Weaver like yeah, analog in this. Yeah, yeah, her name is April. Yeah. Which is probably a nod to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. yeah. Oh god, yeah. it probably fucking was. You're right. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. she's she's nice. I mean, Hank's nice. They're all nice. It's just it, these movies keep happening. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, and it's sort of like is it um there's there is a moral question too. Like is it better to like, you know, release you know, evil into the world or to do nothing? Like what what say if like if, you know, Hank turned out like so many other graduates of this program and it's just just disappeared into the world? Well, I mean, that is true, because technically Hank has a more successful career than I do. Um, yeah. The, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I don't see you directing Snake out of Compton and inflicting it on the world. 
Well, no, it's not that I, uh, for lack of trying, I guess. But um, the thing is, is that Hank and I always were different, had a difference of opinion. Like he was really into fan films and I was really into doing like original stuff. And so I spent tons and tons of money on making a student film that was mm -hmm. original and it never got finished because it was too goddamn complicated and long-winded. Okay. And yet Hank makes this student film that's also a uh, fan film and somehow gets through it. But, you know, he's managed to make more films since he came out here. So, you know, and he's stayed true to his brand of comedy, like what he does. This, his quality of work has not changed or been diminished by being in L.A. The kind, of comedy that that, the kind of comedy that someone who watches Adam Carolla would think is really fucking funny. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know if I'm right or I'm wrong. He's just, you know, he's working. He also, he also worked on a reality TV show called Strangers in Danger, which is basically a low-rent uh, jackass. Mm. And I love, I fucking love IMDb reviews. Okay. They're always great. So I found this one for the Strangers in Danger show, which goes, my wife and I think these guys are hilarious. Not only that, they are excellent athletes who are willing to try many new things. The one thing we don't like is their use of G blank D blank. <laughs> And it's signed Karen and Doug. Mm. And Karen and Doug do not like having just like God, God, God shoved down their throats the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe that our friend Hank also made a feature called Blood Effects, which is billed as a scathing satire on independent movie making in Hollywood. I uh. doubt that. Um, so, so Hank's had a long and illustrious career. Uh, just I don't want to say failing upward, but you're just plugging away as yeah. one you know, does. I hope you guys realize that you're disrespecting a former troop. I mean, he is technically a veteran filmmaker because he's literally a veteran. Like, yeah, he was, he was in, uh, in in intelligence, army intelligence. It's oh that, god, that's right. It says in his fucking yeah, bio that yeah. he went into army intelligence. Like, whoopty shit. The bio that yeah. he wrote himself clearly. Yes. He was born and raised in Grand Junction, Colorado. This would be his greatest accomplishment until dropping out of film school at age 26. Huh. Well, I mean, where so can he go? So he used all their fucking equipment and then he just dropped out. Well, nice. he went back to being a cosplayer. Like, that was his one true original. I don't vision. think he was a cosplayer. It was that he knew cosplayers. Oh, okay. He just, well, loved, he just loved fan films and... Cosplayers are a medium for making fan films. Oh, so you gosh, see why he, he would gravitate. Cosplayers. Oh, because well, it so happened terrible. twice. Like he did this one, and then he did uh, Ghostbusters versus Freddy, which yeah. was another like thing where I think someone just knew how to do the Freddy makeup, and they're like, "All right, let's make yeah, a movie, no, man." It. Again, this whole I film fucking thing. love like Freddy Krueger. Let's make a fucking Freddy Krueger <laughs> film. Hey. Okay, so just as this podcast has kind of lost the thread uh i don't think that we know where we are in the story of the movie either well we mentioned the bar fight a guy yeah well, a bar fight we a guy has middle, an omelet yeah we were in the middle omelet. of a bar fight omelet? Uh, he has an omelet he has yes. an omelet which absorbs souls yes and the the <laughs> amulet they have a close-up of it and it has got to be an indiana jones prop it really looks mm -hmm. like one so i would be surprised if it wasn't yeah, because, there's, you know. there is just a lot of filler in this movie. Like, it feels like they probably had a couple things they wanted to do, and then they just wanted to make a feature, so they just kind of tagged things in there. And, you know, I understand that as a filmmaker trying to, like, pad out the time, but it led to, like, really long conversations yeah, and scenes. Fuck you, audience, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, um... Like, the, also the scene about, um... Because also, uh, the, um... 
uh, the the Egon analog, he has like a Bill Nye ish show with the Ray analog. Mm-hmm. But then there's a, a plot point about like he loses his show because like they lost two advertisers, which again like that's no big deal. But then they wanted to replace him. Yeah, with they someone... just go to like Infowars or something. Right. Yeah, they uh, <laughs> just wanted to pro- replace him with I guess as his uh, producer, or whatever. Call him someone. Jazzy? I don't remember. It's it's essentially like the B story. Like they yeah. decided to like plug in a B story so that Egon would have something to do. Right. But uh, yeah, they wanted someone more more jazzy or jive. Oh, or jive. God. Oh, jive. oh yeah. God, that was a horrible Which, word to hear pop out. Right. As you realize, you realize. Which could like, mean anything. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know, like when you say no? ur- when you say urban, that could mean lots of things. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people live in the urban area. And yeah. that was that was uncomfortable at the time too. That w- that isn't something where it's just like, <laughs> oh no, people just didn't understand. Like, no, we knew, and people mentioned it. And it's I mean, yeah, like, people people weren't like as woke eleven years ago necessarily, like in the broader culture. But like, come on. And the thing is, <laughs> but the- but I mean, it's essentially a gag that was used in the fucking airplane movie. Like, it's been <laughs> out there for a while. Like, yeah. Not to mention the character that they bring on is about as jive as Carlton from Fresh yeah. Prince. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was uh, mind poisoning from Living Large and sorry to bother you, but I thought the gag was going to be that the guy that they brought on was, you know, he's black, but that he he speaks very white in his regular life, but then mm-hmm. he acts jive on the show, and I was like, oh my god, like it, that that's going to be horrible. But thankfully they didn't. Thankfully I, they it, dropped that thread immediately after that scene. Well, it kind of feels more like horrifying just because it like didn't go anywhere because it it literally just introduces a character and then just kind of has the low key thing of like. Oh yeah, this Egon clone, he's going to be a little racist for the rest of the movie cuz he lost his job to a black person. So <laughs> so for us like just going to jump ahead and spoil it when he comes back and he manages to take the black ghostbuster on TV with him, I guess that was to cover up the fact that Egon essentially would be, you know, removing a minority from a job on TV. Oh yeah. Oh. And, and never never mind that it is kind of a zero sum game too because his assistant now is out of a job because the other guy's co-hosting. Yeah, he like he like. <laughs> so this could be a really thorny issue. He it's, fired his good friend and colleague. Yeah, just I mean for, for a diversity hire. For, for, that's not acceptable. Forget about my problem with mm-hmm. Apu. I got a problem with this uh, Return of the Ghostbusters. Also, I like how the black character is the only one in the movie who shows up with a gun, which again does not pay off. No, it he doesn't. doesn't shoot anyone. He just has yeah. a gun. He yeah. has a chrome pistol for some reason. And literally, I mean, but this was a man who was on a mission to murder Egon. Like yeah. the reason he comes back with a gun is because he's like, "What are you doing with the ghosts?" Is wrong. Oh wait, does he get introduced that way? Yeah. Oh oh that's because remember, second scene. he oh, came yeah. back and he was protesting with the, it's, it's the other people. He was protesting yeah. with that blank sign. But, but then break, he just distracts them long enough to take a body inside. Where it's like he helps them out. And you're like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And like, like where, when's Chekhov's ghost gun going to come out? <laughs> you're never going to shoot anybody with that. You're just going to have it in a scene and yeah. then run off into the night. Yes. But this isn't the first time that anything is pilfered from the lab, too, because the guy in the wheelchair... And again, like, I, I know that our description of this movie is confusing, but that's just because the movie itself is very confusing. <laughs> that's very meandering. Because one of the things that happens before that, much further... And much earlier in the movie is the 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 bad guy in the wheelchair whose name I'm not going to be bothered to remember. <laughs> he he comes into the like the Ghostbusters place. Constantine, of course. John Constantine. Right. Um, is that yeah. the name of the? Ki- okay. 
That's yeah. a comic book character. I remember that, but I was like, wait a second, is that an actual reference? Sorry, keep going. Yeah, maybe it may as well be. But, like, he, he comes to visit, because he has a problem with the Ghostbusters, like I guess everyone does suddenly. Um, and and he, he comes to to their place, and Janine is there, and he subtly chloroforms Janine? Yeah. The, the Janine analog? Which is also interesting because at no point later in the movie does Janine mention this. Yeah. By the way, a guy came and knocked me out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's I'm, not. There's a lot of threads like there. It's like, nah, we we don't really know what to do with this character. We might. We need to have a reason to put them out of their misery for a little while and I, then bring yeah. them back. But the the reason that he goes there is because um he can he wants souls for the the deity that he's um uh, trying to to harness, and I guess the ghost trap. If you look into it and you're alive, it will steal your soul, which is a huge issue. Like <laughs> in the Ghostbusters canon, yes, like they kind of like lightly touch on it. Like oh, I looked in the trap, right? And yes. like nothing comes of it. It's just kind of a gag. Like you know, like don't touch, the, like don't push this button. Yeah. Like oh, I push the button, is something bad gonna happen? It's like that's a comedy. Doesn't matter. This is like oh, by the way, if you look in the trap, it steals your fucking soul. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it essentially when it sucks out people's souls, leaves them comatose. Yeah, and you understand why they why they do it in the original Ghostbusters is it's it's alluding to some kind of like horrible physical damage that'll happen to you. Like the way that you read it is you're like, oh my God, like Ego probably fucked up and his retinas are going to detach when he's 40. Yeah, or something which is, like... Which is funny. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> or, but in this or case... Or like in Futurama when they're putting the x-ray gun at Fry's crotch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just things like that. Yeah, but in, in this case, it's like, wait, this has... Really <laughs> wide-ranging implications. Right. And again, I think you mentioned this earlier, Chris. There are, are all these things which are not addressed. Like, for mm -hmm. example, like the, the ethics of ghostbusting. Because yeah. in this context, Egon is a monster. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah this con this they've got a little, like, you know, gulag of ghosts right. is what they have. Not like, oh, we're taking care of the problems. We're just containing these innocent victims that are stuck. And then they never address, like, do they put these people who've been killed by the evil guy back in their bodies? There's a, have... there's a bit at the end where you see one of the guys who's rendered comatose and he's like shaking hands with Egon or something like from oh. yeah the, the, oh, okay. the street guy who is like the first guy and like he's in a it's newspaper like, yeah so that's even worse so they can put the souls back in the bodies yeah it's like Terry Schiavo with a happy ending oh wow so you could do that so you could take a person who's comatose and put a ghost spirit Ugh, why am this, I making this sense like, of this? This is like the stupidest version of Black Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a mirror. It's just a mirror with feces. What? Brown mirror. What if you could remove a soul with a vacuum cleaner? Oh. So the guy what steals a trap. Your friend was a ghost trap. Yeah. No, so but this is something that they. Trap. This is something that they also addressed in the movie in the drop because. Uh, April, April O'Neil. Yeah. Um, lady, oh, I love her work. Lady reporter. <laughs> yeah. She's arguing with Egon about the Egon. It's not fucking Egon. Right. It's the fake Egon. Non Egon. She's yeah. arguing with the Egon analog. Egonalog. About the containment unit, and she's mm -hmm. saying you're keeping these souls. And he says he says something glib like he says some total new atheist thing like mm. oh you know they're just electromagnetism or something like that right. I forget they're just positive they, they and negative do, ions or something yeah. they do actually explain it in a way that I'm like eh you know like that kind of holds 
Yeah. I mean, it doesn't but, help which the movie. Is, yeah. Which is fine, but when you raise that kind of ethical point, you, th- you, actually, you think that that might come into the story because, you know, she's presenting an ethical point of view, yeah, and no, he's, I can, he's I can, countering it. He's yeah. like, you know, no, don't worry about the souls. They're just... They're just energy. I can probably explain what happened here. Um, what we're reading is like a valid point being brought up, but as Hank wrote it, he was thinking of it as social justice warriors and things like that. So I'm um, just remembering back, he most likely thought that character and her point was not valid. And even though we think, no, she, she actually has a valid point, like he wouldn't have read it that way. He would have been like, oh, this is boring. Oh. I just want the they're chasing ghosts. Ghosts are fun. You catch the ghost, you stick them in the box. The ghosts are fun in the box. So this is kind of a yes, yeah. this woman has no dick kind of scene. Yes. Okay. Let me guess. He was a big fan of XKCD. XKCD. You know, this might be before that was actually a thing. I'm actually okay with that because I'm not a big fan of XKCD. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he. Uh, well, who cares what the hell I think about it? As, the guy could maybe put a little more effort into his uh, artistry. Um, and the other thing too is that I, uh, there's a Reddit theme. I would just like to say I fucking hate XKCD. There's a, learn well, to draw, motherfucker. There's a Reddit. Well, there's kind of a a Reddit meme of like, oh, there's an XKCD for everything. It's like, you know why that is? Because his topics are common and obvious. (laughs) That's how you do it. It's like, oh, it's a thing that happens to everyone. I'm going to have a scholarship about it. (laughs) I do that. Yes. So. But yes. So so I'm glad he never directed a movie. Um, <laughs> the the terrifying moral implications of an afterlife spent in a containment grid are not addressed because who yeah. the fuck cares? And well, I, look, yeah. I'm a fucking like I'm a fucking atheist. I don't fucking believe in the paranormal or any astrology. I don't believe in any of it. But when you're dealing with the universe of a particular film, you need to abide by that universe's rules. And in this universe, there is an afterlife. And there right. are spirits suffering in the afterlife, I think acting out because they mm-hmm. can't do anything else. And, the... and horrible dragon monsters too, yeah, which are never explained. Of, yeah, flying dragon turd. Yeah, dragon uh, that looks like a big long turd. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing too that I think that um, the uh, each of you and the the director are giving the mythology of Ghostbusters too much credit, in that. First off, they're presenting a moral quandary about like, oh, you're keeping like sentient spirits in the afterlife contained in this unit. When have you ever exhibited any sentience by any of the ghosts seen in the Ghostbusters movie? Like Slimer eats a bunch of hot dogs and attacks a guy. Well, that one. The, the that, woman in the library says shush. That one ghost uh, gives a blowjob. There's a taxi. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a a ghoul driving a taxi, but I wouldn't say that these are like sentient beings experiencing an existential crisis. I think that these are sort of like um, phantoms, uh, sort of repeating a a uh, a sort of cycle. That is it's that an is true. Aspect and of a thing. As you're pointing out, I might be projecting other mythologies onto it I, yeah again i think I, I think it would be like being really upset at the you know at the animal rights being violated by the making those giant mouse and his friends perform music at chuck e cheese maybe uh maybe i'm throwing the uh animated series in as part of the canon because they actually think developed uh, okay. slimer in that didn't they yeah well, yeah he I mean, he's, like, he's a like a dog yeah. yeah yeah that also ruined uh, citizen kane for me Oh, they spoiled it? Yeah, they spoiled it in the fucking TV show. So when I started watching Citizen Kane, I'm like, 
This reminds me of that Ghostbusters thing. He's got a sled. <laughs> a sled says something on it. I wonder, it's going to come up. I think it's a sled. Oh, it's fucking Rosebud's the sled. Where do I know that? Fucking, fucking <laughs> Ghostbusters. Yeah. Why am I even in this clown film school college? <laughs> uh, I, I, speaking of the real Ghostbusters cartoon series, though, there's a just a one little exchange that um, my sister and I absolutely love for its, its just sublime simplicity is um, when they go to like some, you know, podunk town and, you know, they're, they're like, you know, Egon and the rest of them are sitting around talking to the people they're trying to find out what happened. This little girl goes up to Egon and offers him something to eat. She like, just goes up to him and says, turnip? And Egon looks down and he says, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> The quintessential Egon. I don't know. <laughs> I'm asking you to find it funny. I find it. I'm just tickled to death by it. I'm tickled into this amorphous afterlife by that joke. Mm -hmm. I collect spores, molds, and fungus. It's very Egon, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I studied mean, engineering he, before you. Egon does kind of. He is kind of like the proto autism spectrum person in a film. Right. Because you, you see him, you're like, oh, no, that's a form of autism that he has. Yeah, yeah. But they Chris still introduced it as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I've noticed that since. I've noticed that since. Right. They'll have the autistic guy who's also a superhero and has crazy math skills, and it's always like the guy who solves problems. Hmm. Just well, a thing I've actually, noticed. Yeah. This is an interesting character, though. That's maybe perhaps what differentiated him. Well, I think this movie is missing a lot of what made the original Ghostbusters so successful. Is that it? I don't want to. It's not character driven, but the characters are definitely part of the charm because yeah. their personalities are extremely well established right get, from the beginning yeah, you, you know that Vigman's kind of a fast talking con artist mm -hmm. you know that Egon's like the oblivious science nerd you know that Ray is maybe a little bit capitalist but also very excitable yeah it's like a child yeah yeah but yeah it's like he seems to treat what's the line seems to treat science as some sort of dodge or crit. dodge yeah or hustle or hustle yeah and that's established <laughs> early on whereas these scenes are like Hey, here's that stuff you like. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't go deeper than that. There's not like a, an emotional connection or a, an arc for any of these characters outside of just very broadcast things like people being in love or people not being in love. Right, which is to say that ultimately like anything beyond just like saying I like Ghostbusters and want to see more Ghostbusters, which again is a very aspy thing to say, uh, they have no reason, like they have no voice to bring to this movie. Like there is no story that they want to tell other than I want to see more Ghostbusters. Yeah, there's there's no uh, like, like Ghostbusters essentially like when you go through Ghostbusters the original one it was mostly about Venkman having to stop being a creep and maybe slow down and like actually deal with uh, Sigourney Weaver's character as a if I remember correctly it was more dealing with her as an equal rather than or understanding she was a powerful woman in some fashion rather than just being a side yeah. foil to whatever he was doing because he didn't seem like he really was into like I. I well, it's you have that's, that's a good question. I'm trying to think of what the like arc, you know, what the lesson is. I think it's the guy who moves from uh, non-belief to belief. Oh, it's about finding religion. Because okay. I didn't know Ghostbusters are so theistic. The, the, the well, Indiana because... Jones cop out. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to take a lot of what the what 
Egon and Ray are doing seriously. Right. Uh, he's a bit, he's kind of along for the ride. You know, he, find, yeah. he finds it amusing, you know, but maybe he doesn't necessarily believe in this stuff. He but... is along for the ride because, again, it's very much like when they mortgage, you know, Ray's house. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my, my parents left me that house. I was born there. Was born there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but to him, it's just like, hey, you know, we've found a, a means to an end. Yeah. Again, because it's, again, the idea about raising the money. It's like, well, how are we going to do that, Swig? Oh, no. <laughs> so he's a toxic narcissist. This is what, uh, this is the thing. Right. Like, yeah, well, Eggman's he, a toxic narcissist. And this... still, Bill Murray sells it. That's usually what happens with toxic narcissists. Like, they're yeah. very charming people when you meet them. Yeah, so well, you might I even think... elect them president someday. <laughs> In it, inadvertently, this movie crystallized the Venkman character to his negative essence. This movie, yeah, the Denver Ghostbusters the, one, yeah. <laughs> to just like, it's, it's sort of like... Uh, if you'll it, notice, we keep calling it Denver Ghostbusters, even though that's not the title. Right. And literally, we've been referring to it for 10 years as the Denver, Denver Ghostbusters. Ghost <laughs> well, because that's what it is. I mean, when Ghostbusters it, in Denver. Well, it <laughs> differentiates it from the Lady Ghostbusters, too. Or Detroit like, Ghostbusters, which evidently came out in yeah, another time another period. Yeah, there was too, also yeah. the Detroit Ghostbusters. Yeah. But if we wanted to talk about the Venkman character more, I mean, you know, uh, sorry to invoke Rick and Morty, Chris. I know you've heard <laughs> enough. But it's like, it's, you know, the sort of toxic uh, essence of Venkman being extracted out, like, you know, the one episode, um, <laughs> and being turned into this sort of uh, Venkman analog character in Denver Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Was that a Rick and Morty episode? I think so. Yeah, like, yeah. Was there a Rick and Morty episode think, where they made a really Morty, shitty fan film? I think Morty gets split. No, it's where they go to like... Actually, uh, I've seen the shitty fan film version of Rick and Morty, and it's a porno. <laughs> like, I've seen that. <laughs> that's cool, that's a little more honest, you know? I mean... <laughs> no, it was the one where like they go to like the, to like Does have some, Morty? some relaxation in R&R. <laughs> Uh, actually, not sure about that one. I can't remember. I think that they they gender swapped Morty. Okay. So it was a woman, but I don't think uh, I don't know just, who had just sex ripping with off who. Doctor Who. I think I think <laughs> I think Rick wound up having sex with like a green lady. I don't remember. Well, that seems very sci-fi appropriate. I haven't yeah. seen that. We're talking about a porn fan film while talking about this film. It was. It's all fan films. All all twenty four seven. This episode is going to be all fan films. You know, uh, if anybody wants to make a fan version of the podcast, why would you? Never send it to us. Right. I don't want to hear that <laughs> shit. So, uh, where do we leave off? So, Venkman's a, a toxic narcissist, mm -hmm. a bit of a ladies' man, slash, a just like unlikable dick. Because you know that any guy who self labels as a ladies' man is a great guy. Right, yeah. Um, should, should we fall down the stairs the rest of this plot? <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> well, you can. The, Sum the, it up very easily because there's a there's a villain with an amulet who wants to fill it with souls and they stop the villain. Right, yeah. Something yeah. there was There's a bunch of stupid shit. Crazy shit happens. <laughs> but um Yes. And he like so he gets the, the trap and he steals the soul of a of a vagrant who hassles him for money, which at this point we in the audience are like, Oh, he just killed that guy. Yeah. Like that guy's dead. Which, uh -huh. I mean, I can guess it'd be, like, someone that no one's going to notice they're missing. Because it's a homeless person. Yeah, because yes. it's a homeless person, and they're basically disposable. Um, but uh, but then, like... Oh, it's Garcetti's Los Angeles. Right, yeah. <laughs> but um, but a few scenes later, the Ghostbusters are going finally doing some ghost busting, where there's, like, a, a ghost in a movie theater, which is, like, 
a fancy art house cinema, as Borf pointed out. Yeah, it's it's the Mayan movie theater. It's like one of the nicer art house movie theaters in Denver. Yeah. That is just has the worst show up in this movie. Like it should have been in something better. It's very sad <laughs> that the first film I know that was shot there is this. It would be better for it to have not appeared at all. And plus two, you feel kind of bad because it's like, oh, there's like the staff it looks like mm-hmm. or a guy who like worked because he had a name tag and like he's in the movie and it's just like hank may have worked there that's that's what oh, i can think of he's he must have worked there that. to like shoot there yeah so they shoot the scene um and you know the ghostbusters do their usual you know thing of like making a mess while catching a ghost meanwhile the villain shows up with the ghost trap strapped to his chest and he corners about a half a dozen people and opens a trap on them so in this lighthearted, uh, you know, horror comedy, we've just seen a half a dozen people die. Yeah, well, in, in like in a flash, literally. Yeah, it's a real, Don't... it's a real Bonnie and Clyde switch. Like when the, <laughs> when the when the when the they're having a fun time, and then they just shoot the cop in the head. And you're like, oh, this stopped being a comedy. Yep. Don't forget <laughs> the part in the bar fight scene when the Venguin analog puts a cue ball in a sock and just breaks oh. a couple guys' jaws. Right. Yeah, he just goes fucking death wish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so like holy shit! Like <laughs> those guys' lives changed the night they went to that bar. Yeah, and that's never covered. Like you know, they don't have to then come back and uh, catch the ghosts of the people that he just killed. <laughs> their ghosts are like their jaws just hanging off. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so we've seen a lot of people die, apparently. Uh-huh. But then later on, they say, "Oh, they're in comas," which is like, yeah, that would have been good to tell us beforehand, because otherwise, we're just like, God, what did we just see? Yeah. A massacre. Yeah, and the other thing too is like it isn't clear whether or not those souls are retrieved because we do see the villain when he gets use of his legs from this mystical power. Like that's he's sacrificing a soul to his god, which would have been the hobo's soul, who we then saw alive and like you know, ambulatory later. It's like, well, whose soul was that? Someone's soul got evaporated. Yeah, I wonder if it is that uh, they realize that after they got done shooting and put a extra piece of B-roll footage of the homeless person alive in just to try to soften up that ending. <laughs> that would be nice because, like, I don't. Did we see anyone get fucking murdered in Ghostbusters? We saw a lot of ghosts, like I mean, a lot of spooks. I mean, I think technically what happened to the uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man could be considered a very violent assault by three tiny people or four That's tiny true, people. yeah. <laughs> well, three and an accomplice, I mean, you know. And then I think the violence that was the sequel happened to all of us that went and saw it. <laughs> My dad took me to the theater to see that, and he felt so bad afterward, he took me for ice cream. Just see Ghostbusters 2? Yes. I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't like no, brown it's, bunny, but it's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like it's it's fine. It's just compared to the original Ghostbusters, it's a you know. Step down. I saw yeah. it when I was like thirteen, and I was pleased. Well, so did I. Yeah, so I love, I love, but I loved Ghostbusters. I was disappointed. Yeah, well, just wait because they made a third one, <laughs> which I haven't seen. Oh, yeah. you're worse than the oh. angry video game nerd. Yeah. yeah, we should mention the angry video game nerd. The angry video game nerd, uh, James Rolfe, is in this. Because he's I in think this. because yeah. he lived in the area at the time. Yeah. Um, and he couldn't find a, a gracious way to say no. Well, <laughs> really all he does is he reacts to the, the live broadcast of the Ghostbusting. He says, you came, you saw, you kicked its ass. Yeah. Which, you know, is an angry video game nerd thing to do. Yeah. And this makes me really sad because I actually like the angry video game nerd. Right. Like, I like his show. It's normal. It's 
They did use a little too much of him, like showing him. Like, yeah. He's famous. Yeah, he's that, internet like, famous. Yeah. They were probably desperate for that. Like it would surprise me if they went to him to film this. This could be something where they just hit him up online and said, "Hey, if we send you some tape, would you send us a tape of you doing these things?" That probably yeah, would be more likely what happened because he is also a big Ghostbusters fan. Um, he's he covered, such a big fan. He covered uh, the NES games on his show. Um, I know he's also talked about the movies because he does movie reviews as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he got into the center of a big internet kerfuffle when he made a video saying that he refused to review the reboot, which was the one with uh, with the all-female cast. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really funny because it's more of that bullshit that you get these days where like the apotheosis of activism is buying a fucking movie ticket for like a mass marketed mm-hmm. big budget film right yeah and, you aren't you aren't yeah. sending like relief aid to africa or anything yeah and i mean at no point in the video does james rolf say you know i'm not gonna review this fucking movie because i don't trust anything that believes for five days does die right you know he just says like no i'm a fan of the original ghostbusters i'm not interested in the reboot i'm not gonna review it but it got turned into oh well that guy's a sex piece of shit who hates women and vaginas, so right. he's not going to review this just really, like, yeah, and the worst ass part, big budget film. The worst yeah. part of it is him actively saying, I'm staying out of it, and everyone's like, no, motherfucker. We're dragging in. you in. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, I just want to make my angry yeah. video game yeah. videos. I thought we were going to be watching the remake today for some reason. Like, <laughs> like, like, I thought you were kidding when you texted you're, me. You're no, like, oh. I might have been a little out of it when you hit me up the first time, so I may have been like, there's no way somebody remembers a Hank Braxton movie. No way. And sure enough, that was exactly what we watched. I was just, it was surprising. Uh, you thought you had dodged a bullet. You would merely only have to watch the Lady Ghostbusters <laughs> movie. Which I still haven't seen, because... I don't really give a shit. Well, I saw James Rolfe's review, and I'm like, yeah, I guess I can probably miss this one too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it's fine, but again, um, I'm it sure it is really, utterly unremarkable. Yeah, but yeah. It, annoyingly, it got pitched as like, "Wow, women have finally broken the glass ceiling." And yeah. It's like yeah. really like, and they tried to use es- it as marketing. And yeah. essentially, it was because there is always going to be a small segment of chuds. Who are really mad about cartoons for little girls or movies with women in them, you know, because like the SJWs are taking over mm-hmm. and they blow every idiotic culture war thing out of fucking proportion. Yeah. If only a foreign psyops uh, unit could somehow harness <laughs> that. So this from the US. <sighs> but, but I digress talking about the rebellion. Yeah, having having the seen last Jedi. having seen like some of the the fandom stuff, like even tertiary from Harmontown and like Harmon Quest and Rick and Morty, it's always very aggressive and strange because you wind up like I don't know what it is, but there's something about people allowing a thing to define who they are outside yeah, yeah. of just enjoying that thing. Like I like baking. I wouldn't say to everyone I meet that I'm a baker. Oh, people yeah. who know me know that I bake. If you look at my Instagram, you can see shit I'm baking, but... Bakergate. Yeah. yeah. And, and, too, like, you know, <laughs> and I'm not going to get all bent out of shape if, like, women start baking, too, or something. But it just seems like there is that uh, that awkward thing, and it usually, like, keeps me from getting into things. Like, there's yes, certain, it does. 
Like, it's, it's, if it's, I'd heard about the Phantom of Doctor Who before seeing a couple episodes, I probably never would have watched the new one. Yeah, you'd be like, that's a hard pass. But in all honesty, the fandom of weirdness is the reason that I have stopped watching the new one, just because it's so aggressive. And when we were dealing with, like, Rick and Morty, just to be real, I did it, I did the after yeah. show for Rick and Morty. I was the, the tech director for it, so we'd see all the comments from Adult Swim. Not going to say any shit that's going to get me in trouble, but there were a lot of swastikas. <laughs> And that was mostly from, like, the weird group from the Rick and Morty fandom. Like, there's a lot of nice people that are into it, and that's fine. But then there's a lot of just weirdness where people, like, internalize it and then get really angry when anybody else changes it at all. It's Or even, like, The the Last Jedi. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's... Like, the movie might have structural issues, fine. Mm. You don't need to hunt someone down on Instagram and call them a bad person for the rest of their life because <laughs> they happened to make a movie you didn't get as much of a thrill out of as you thought you would right. because you wanted the same movie you got every other fucking time. It's a Star Wars film. It's yeah. men with light swords and dicks. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> You're just getting the fucking return fucking mythic structure from Joseph Campbell. Like, you know, yeah. if, if, if one thing zigs rather than zags, you might have a better time. Sorry. Yeah, that is. Yeah. And I it just does... keep yelling. I'm sorry, guys. Well, no, well, it's no, fine. No, it's... that's the reason we had you go over the audio uh, before we started, <laughs> so we could like gate everything. And you know, if we start because I knew there would be yelling. Well, it's... but it does it does poison the discourse because yeah. you know it's like I thought you know I enjoy Star Wars, but when it comes like, to I like it well enough, but it's like well I, now I don't want to have to be lumped in with a bunch of neo Nazis because I like <laughs> an irreverent cartoon show. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is, like the the discourse around say Last Jedi, where mm-hmm. I don't. I don't even want to fucking talk about the film. You know, I didn't feel yeah. I I went, I saw it and I enjoyed it, but it's become this knockdown drag out battle of no actually it's worse, worse than the prequels or That's a fucking lie. Yeah. That <laughs> cannot be true. Yeah. Or it's the worst SGW feminazi crap that's ever been made until the next big blockbuster movie that comes out and has women in it. It's like, I just don't, you know, I don't want to fucking deal with this. I don't want to, I don't want to attack it or defend it. I just don't want to talk about it. I can picture though when they're pitching The Last Jedi and, you know, a woman executive went up to the whiteboard and wrote S W and then looked in the room and then put a J in between them. (laughs) There's your new franchise, everybody. Oh my god. And we're gonna have a chick whose hair is dyed purple. That's Aha. gonna drive them crazy. <laughs> and we're gonna have their mother show up. <laughs> but yeah, this um the, I guess having disposed of the film, unless there's anything else that we wanna say about the plot. Well, I think that it was fortuitous that uh Chris happened to have a, a a a cheat sheet of the hero's journey on the back of his note card. Yeah, I, I, I happen to have it written down. Um, it didn't come up in this movie. Yeah, you, you thought it, some... it sounded like you thought it was going to go in that direction, and then it didn't. Well, because they had like false leads. Like you're like, oh, okay, so they're getting into a fight. It's like 17 minutes into the movie. Ooh, I bet something's going to happen. There's going to be a call to adventure, and it's like, nope, nope. This person never shows up again. You just had a fight in a bar. Yeah. Good for you, fight in a bar man who evidently died, and they never come back to you. This that is just a series. A, this is just a series of a, events. That man had a severe traumatic brain injury that he never recovered from. It was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't really touch on that. But and not to get, not to uh, encroach on red letter media territory, but I'm realizing: does this movie even have a protagonist? Uh, a I pro- think protagonist. <laughs> uh, 
they would probably say the Neil character. Who um, is the Vinkman analog? Yeah, yeah, but I think this it's... like the first time we mentioned his name. Yeah. <laughs> the he, he burns his name into a screen at one point in a really dumb scene that that's doesn't how we have remember, any yeah. necessary... That was, uh, and again, that's uh, the sort of people, Fans of the show will remember our frequent guest, uh, Mike Rosen. Mm -hmm. That was the only part of the movie that he remembered because he actually watched this back in the day when I first watched it. Mm -hmm. And he still talks about the scene where they're in the movie theater trying to catch the ghost, and he just burns his name into the fucking screen. Do you know how much those fucking screens cost? And oh, that, yes, thousands are, and thousands yes. of dollars. And that really is the crux of the 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 crux of the difference between this and the actual Ghostbusters is there's a scene of recklessness when they're wrecking the the hotel trying to catch you know Slimer <clears throat> or Spud, I guess they just called him at the time. And you know they're you know, they had a little bit of reason for it. We're like you know we need to lay the trap down here, make some room, make some room. And they're being reckless about it. We're just like oh yeah, the flowers are still standing. And it's like yeah okay, it's they're being careless and they're being shitty in what they're doing. But this one is they've caught the ghost and Neil is just being a dick. <laughs> he just yes with the the caveat that maybe maybe it's bourgeois of me to defend property, but <laughs> um the, in the the original movie it's funny because it's kind of that poke in the eye to the wealthy right you know because mm -hmm. they're going into like the ritz and they're throwing shit around in a ballroom like well, it's, it's, right. it's, it's kind it's of funny. a blues brothers yeah kind it's, of moment it's too. funny you know in this yeah, case it's like, it's like it's, you know blue collar guys <laughs> in the high class place making a mess of it bull in a china shop it's a it's a known trope yeah. it's fine they can yeah, do that it's funny and in this case it's like hey i'm an asshole yeah. yeah, and the ladies, man, I guess. Again, yeah. and it's that degrading of the Vinkman character to like, you know, like, yeah, okay, like the guy, the guy's a little, a little bit of an ass, but he's, he's charming, you know, you can, right. you, you understand at the end of the movie why, why uh, Dana Barrett goes with him. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's like, you know, he's, he's at, at heart, he's a good guy. Like in this yeah. case, I'm like. Jesus Christ, April, do not go with this fucking date rapist. Right, yeah. He mm -hmm. will talk shit to you on camera in front of your own news segment. Yes! Yeah. Right. Um, the other thing, you mentioned that um, Mike <clears throat> could remember that scene of him writing Neil, like him burning it in the screen. I don't remember that scene, but I did watch this movie around the same time that Jen discovered it. Uh, I think Jen has sent me a message on MySpace <laughs> with a link to the movie that I watched at work from a job I was ultimately fired from. Um, <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. No, Tim. Yeah. That's good praxis. Right. Okay. Wasting your employer's time. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's because you know it was copyright infringing. Um, but anyway, like, and, and I remember just sending messages to Jen, just like, "What is this shit? What is this garbage?" You were really mad too. It was an incredibly <laughs> awful movie. Um, but the only scene that I remember is the bar fight because that's the point where just yeah. the movie just. To say that it went off the rails, I think, is being like overly um, uh, uh, benevolent. It's to say that it went over the rails off a bridge into the abyss. So at this point, I'm just like, am I even what? What is Ghostbusters about this movie? Yeah, the movie. Yeah. The movie's in the Mariana Trench at that point. Yeah, yeah there's no real connective tissue. It it just that seems is... like random scenes of things happening, and I almost yeah. I almost wonder if maybe it developed out of what the actors wanted to do in a movie. That's a possibility. It, it sounds like the only reason I could imagine all this stuff in there is probably just, you know, somebody like, oh, I want my character to do this or something like that, or someone just coming mm. up with things they wanted to have happen and not bothering with the why it's happening. Possibly the actors fucking around, um, screenwriting odds and ends. Mm -hmm. I mean, because mm. it really does give one pause. You're making a Ghostbusters fan film and you have an entire scene where there are no ghosts or busting. Mm hmm. <laughs> 
I mean, there's bus they aren't of, even of in, Jaws. Yeah, they aren't <laughs> even in, like, their uniforms or anything. So, like, short of seeing, like, a news segment where the guy says, oh, the Ghostbusters suck. Yeah. Like, it's n not a Ghostbusters scene. Yeah. Like, you could say that the movie loses its <clears throat> thread about 17 minutes in. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, shit, I guess we're going to wrap this up. Mm -hmm. Compare that to the scene of, of uh, uh, Winston and Ray uh, driving on the bridge. And they're talking about their uh, Winston is talking about his realization that something apocalyptic mm -hmm. is happening. You know. Yeah. And he's explaining he's explaining to Ray like you know hey like you know the dead are rising from the grave like it's like biblical you know mm -hmm. this is significant and it's actually like a really well written like kind of chilling scene and you know when Ray reaches mm -hmm. over to turn on the radio. It's like, you know, it's kind of trying to cut through the mood. Yeah. You know, because they've just realized the gravity of what's going on. It's like, that is fucking good writing. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, Winston and Ray didn't go to a fucking bar and like mm -hmm. say disgusting things to strange women and then like yeah. break a guy's face. Well, like, I mean, no it's, service it's, it's because there's an emotional lead to the arc happening in the movie. Like, yeah, that's what happens in like good movies is that like you'll have, you'll have, the, you'll <laughs> let me have, start writing this down. I mean, it's just, it's just the idea that, you know, you're dealing with the, the hero's arc and the hero's journey. So they're going through stuff and they, this is my opinion on it is that they hit different <clears> points and you want those points to be visual. They should be some sort of an action happening like in a big arch film. And if you got a Spielberg movie, it's probably going to be somehow connected with a family coming back together, right. people working through relationship problems to make yeah. a family work, things like that. Yeah. So they give it a solid, like, emotional underpinning. Like, you know, you're not literally just watching Indiana Jones run around and try to steal an idol back. It's, oh, no, his long-lost love Marion's in a lot of trouble. He's fighting Nazis, but he's fighting it for the girl. Yeah. So it's going through the thing, and you're like, each time emotionally you're hitting a point where it's like, okay, well, he's punching that Nazi out, and he just punched that man straight into a propeller blade right but we're okay with it because we're connected to the overall emotional story of how in trouble these two are and yeah. he and his girl well, are trying to get out of here yeah. well chris yeah. let me stop you there it is extremely good and cool to shove nazis heads into propeller blades it should happen more often <laughs> but but if that was the first scene of the movie it might set you up for a far different ride yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, have we, so have we put the plot to bed much as much as anyone can? Well, let me call out a really disgusting moment at the end. Okay. Where um, the the Denver Ghostbusters are on the news after they've saved the city, which is in ruins, but yeah, it looks like it. A, yeah. it looks like a like a, a comet landed there or something. <laughs> like buildings are like have holes in them and they're on fire. They're chasing this giant like. Yeah. Tim, the old dragon. Tim, Tim. Mm -hmm. yeah. They saved the city. Uh, okay, yeah. They right. saved the day. Shut up. Right. <laughs> so they're on the news talking about. Oh you yeah, know. they have reactions from like literal men on the street. Yes. Where you know the filmmakers just are like, hey, can you point in the sky and mm -hmm. look shocked and like, well, I gotta go to work. Like, can you just point real quick for me? It's fine. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they're talking to the news crew, and April asks them, were there any human casualties? And alluding to the to the villain, uh, the Egon guy says, "The cripple." Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. they didn't bother. And him. as if that wasn't bad enough, the response from the Vengman character is, "No one cares about the cripple." Right. And it's like, thanks. That's a really great positive mm -hmm. note, and your fucking cute. 
little know. fun fan film on. Yeah. It's yeah. like, fuck the disabled. They're yeah. shit. Yeah, there might be some low-key Nazism in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and also the cripple, well, because I don't know what his name is, the cripple also the cr- dated, <laughs> no, 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 dated April. No, I wouldn't say dated. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say sexually harassed that. consistently. Right, okay. So they went so, out oh, on yeah, a date. Oh, yeah, because the villain... Oh, okay, went on a date. Yeah, the villain also... Uh, yeah, and he got his April. funding cut from the nefarious teenage arms dealer. Because he got a phone... Oh, yeah, that's a thread that got dropped. Yeah, he got a call on his Motorola Razor from <laughs> a guy in, like, you know, in a, a black button-up shirt and shiny tie that oh, I think he so... last wore to his graduation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, a, that was a guy I used to, like, know because it was in the, uh, in the dormitory. It's a guy named Sid Mulholland. He's fine. Uh, he was real into U2 and uh, Interpol. Hence uh, the black shirt. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was his, it was his thing. He was always kind of like low-key goth, but he's fine. It's just, it was his one scene in the movie where he's playing, you know. Goths, yeah, goths aren't into like uh, where he's up, playing... upbeat spiritual. <laughs> yeah, sorry. where he's playing the, like the, the teenage, um, what is it? Like lab rat defense technologies or whatever they called it? Something. It looks like a yeah. shot from a Matrix fan film. Yeah, well, yeah, that's because of the way he's dressed. But even yeah, still, well, it's, it's like... the dress and there's like a slight green tone to it. Yeah. That might have just been bad color correction. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought it was just because they shot in like the green screen room. This is like, oh, we, we, you know, but, we can use this until class starts. But... <laughs> because the other thing... What I would like... But the thing about that shot is you don't... Do not shoot... A character in mysterious half shadow, yeah, and then never have him figure into the story ever again. When you yeah. shoot a character that way, you're implying a kind of importance mm-hmm. to that character. But he's just a plot device to get Klinghoff or whatever his name is, Constantine, Constantine yeah. mad enough to want to steal equipment so he can use the amulet for nefarious purposes, which he was going to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. This this whole thing seems. I mean, like, it probably would have happened when April rejected him. So. I mean, it has to be something to just do with the fact that they were like locked into the fan film thing, and they were trying to justify each step of their script, and they would wind up with these dangling threads where they didn't know where to go. So rather than doing the smart thing of just finding a way to trim that thread, they just wrote more for it. <laughs> like it doubled down yeah, on that yeah, idea. It's like, oh, yeah. I don't know why these two people are talking and why they're here now. I know it's not. You know, don't do something visual. Have two people talk in a room quietly for the next. Five minutes. <laughs> you know what I would have loved to see at the. We mentioned the montage at the end with the. Oh, suddenly they're on the covers of magazines again. Again. I would love to see like a scrolling like Tumblr post with the headline: "The Denver Ghostbusters are ableist. Here are receipts. Here's Spangler saying cripple on live TV. He's canceled." Yeah. Yeah. This... Like, I, I block them on Instagram. <laughs> oh man, this was pre-Instagram, pre-Twitter, so yeah. that's that's one of the reasons to steal those uh, magazines we, because people assume that's how you spread information and exposition. We had to walk uphill both ways through snow to be outraged. Then <laughs> I'd do that anyway. Yeah, you you get outraged at the drop of a hat. Yeah, you know what else are you gonna do lately? I don't know. It's um, the only way I can feel. Yeah. The interesting thing, too, about watching this with Chris is just the PTSD that he's getting of, you know, <laughs> not just the one character you, you recognize, but so many yeah. other actors in this. 
yeah i see many actors in this where i would know the person and remember the person and some of them like have come to la and you know this is probably like over 10 years ago now so Mm -hmm. a lot of these people i've seen where the careers have gone like what they ended up doing how they got involved like one of the guys who was like used as the the handsome leading man in a bunch of the student films is now in here working as a carpenter good for him yeah uh one of the people is bald now i'm not gonna say who (laughs) well that was the thing but you know him when you see him that was the thing you pointed out because he doesn't have the hair <laughs> and also like the locations too where you're yeah. like oh this is a soundstage oh yeah this is shot in the dorms yeah this, this is, is that's what i loved about uh, a lot of those exteriors where they're they'll show the denver skyline mm-hmm. I, there was one point where i literally said are those cg buildings and you were like no that's just denver <laughs> yeah well i mean there are a couple times like i think they were probably doing some of the projection mapping like back in the day because that was a way to like make stuff look somewhat 3d and realistic because there's one scene in which the thing pivots around cities while like ectoplasm trails are shooting out towards camera and i doubt that it was a scan and tracked shot i have a feeling it was just like someone probably took a city skyline did a bunch of projection mapping and then animated some schmoo in between the buildings as it was moving uh they did a lot of work on the uh, graphics on this i remember that that it took them forever to get like the graphics done on this yeah well well, computing computing power at the time was just you, oh yeah, it was abysmal. Yeah, slow. yeah. <laughs> you, you cut this out, but uh, did it take longer to render than the effects in "It's Cold Between Us"? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Chris is, Chris is never, sorry, never going to talk to us again after no, tonight. No, I'll just talk about it. Like, it, it is a valid point to bring up because you know <laughs> these guys made a, a ch- Chris. You don't have to do this to yourself. Well, no, they made like a chintzy, you know. Uh, a student film shitty. that was it was shitty it was a shitty uh fan film uh but they finished it and uh they didn't bankrupt themselves for it they didn't have to like go two weeks with like eating like expired moose crunch bars they got from a friend just to be able to survive i was allowed two a day because more than that meant that i wouldn't have any at the last couple days hmm. um didn't have money uh ate beans uh used uh the mres from my movie as food a couple times wow. um like it got real grim i sold things that i owned just for food not not to just pay the rent but for food because i was that level of like shaky um and uh eventually uh moved out here and didn't finish the film i've still like got it sitting around like it doesn't (laughs) age better than what we just watched um so it's one of those things where it's like who who was wrong who who was the worst criminal the one who who took a swing and hit us with a bat or the one who just kept missing That's yeah. That's, well, uh, there's a, a, a philosophical quandary. He's really. also fucking working. Like this guy's made a bunch of movies since then. I haven't done shit. I'm working on Harmontown. That's a that's a thing that's great. It's worked out well. It definitely doesn't pay the bills. So it's like this kid's managing to make it work. How the fuck does this happen? I am looking at YouTube to give me an answer. What is up in L.A.? How does this occur? <laughs> You're on our podcast. Right? <laughs> uh, Anish, we're gonna have Chris back on uh, episode number three hundred. We're going to be just. We're going to discuss his unseen masterwork if I ever get it finished due to drawing or cardboard cutouts held up to frame we can go ahead and talk about it (laughs) (laughs) well the other thing but but this is great we've like set it up yeah and then years in the future it's gonna be like boyhood like 10 years from now we'll talk about it's called between us because it'll be finished yep Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry to bring that up but speaking of 
painful memories. Uh, I know that Chris and I, like you, you and I both experienced this watching this movie. I mean, you have a bit of nostalgia of being like, oh, I recognize that place. I know that person. Uh -huh. But I just, I can recall you know, the the procedure of doing uh, a student film and like all the awfulness that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that Denver Ghostbusters could have been a good movie because of the constraints of making a student film. Like, I can think of the times that like, I've like the video that I've made in like high school or like my first year as an undergrad mm -hmm. or like doing like Brian Boyle's um, like UCLA digital, digital media thing, which was cool. And, you know, I'm glad that you did it or like UCLA extension stuff or even the stuff in Sydney where it's just like you're, you have like a lighting kit with like two broken lights. Mm -hmm. You're shooting in your apartment because you don't know how to like, get a location how, mm -hmm. yeah how to like requisition or feed a location. people or how to handle or any of that people yeah you're working with actors who like will the only people who will work for free mm -hmm. and like you have no you, like you don't know any like prop master so you're like i guess we'll throw something together mm -hmm. makeup and costume that's completely like that's out of the question yeah and so like you're working against so many constraints you're kind of like you're like this this like third world child with like a, a broken toy and you're like oh i'm gonna play star wars with like this half a gi joe mm -hmm. and it's like it's just it's pathetic i don't know like, yeah for lack it of feels like, very strange because it's there's no easy way to get anything made and not um, anything good yeah i i think that there's too many constraints put on film students to make like narrative pieces or it's it's also like people get put onto them a lot to like everybody's supposed to be a director so you have to go through all these things and a lot of people just don't know how a film gets put together mm -hmm. so there's a lot of mistakes people make and i think that too much is put on getting a perfect student film out of that rather than getting a lot of experience that you can then apply professionally because at least when i was in film school everybody wanted to have the student film that would turn them into a director and then they would get hired to do shit yeah and it just doesn't work that way like you've got to go out and work professionally because there's you're never going to have access to anything that's going to look good in film school like you can do some stuff with like film and 35 like if you're a cinematography student you can probably get some actual good stuff done and i had friends of mine in film school who did that and you know have gone off to work on like tv yeah because you're doing like piece work you're like i'm yeah. excellent at this one aspect yeah or like being a cinematographer and then shooting mountains like a lot of people did that in denver and really like used the location and looked at the value they could put into it and none of the stuff was good it was all kind of like flimmy flammy as far as the story goes but uh, they still wound up with something they could stick on a demo reel. So when they have to go and hit up people to work on like a reality film or excuse me, a reality TV show, mm -hmm. like they're like, oh yeah, you can, you can light a horse, you can light a hill. Come on down. We're going to have you do this thing. And it's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, it's interesting comparing your guys' film school experiences with mine because mine was very positive. But I think a huge reason for that is that I did not opt to concentrate in production. I didn't spend a few thousand dollars trying mm -hmm. to make a film. I just wrote a really terrible script that I threw the fuck away and doesn't exist anymore, but I, at least I got a foundation in storytelling and, and structure and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, most of the people I know who did production just had a real bad time. They were out a lot of money and yeah. film school is the place where you make a mistake and you don't have the big machinery of studio to pick up the pieces for yeah. you. It's like you fucked up, you fucked up big and you're out money. 
you ruined your yeah. footage yep. or you didn't bring yeah. a critical prop the one day you could shoot yeah or like know. i left the lights on on one scene and like and it's like and, and even like getting critique on afterwards they're like oh you should have done like low light with that and i'm like that's what i forgot <laughs> yeah. yeah and just like running myself ragged and yeah and like so many things that have to come together that again like you say there's not really much support to do yeah and it's also crazy like how long student film shoots go like i don't know how long your experience was but for me it was not unusual to have like a 48 hour shoot not on not on stuff i shot like i was sane like i made schedules yeah but there were some where i'd walk in and like people would have like a thousand yard stare and they'd be like i've been in here for 15 hours man like it just keeps making me put on the mermaid outfit yeah just flop like yeah i don't know man i want to go home yeah it's like morning to midnight Yeah. yeah You do often get a range of ages in film school. You'll get like mm. your students, but a lot of these are like kids in their very early twenties. Yeah, their fucking brains haven't finished developing. Mm. Like that's I feel the, bad for the older ones. That's well, funny. that's that's yeah. a whole that's a different kettle of fish. Like yeah. I'm talking about the experience of being, you know, in maybe in your late teens, early twenties. You're not organized. This yeah. is your. This is abs- any kind of large organizational project that you're putting together, like a film, which is incredibly complex. That's mm-hmm. a fucking trial by fire for a young person. Yeah. yeah. And-, and films are fucking hard to make. It is very fucking hard to make a fucking mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> again, drawing from like my past experience, I'm thinking of like, again, like the one that I made at, you know, in Sydney was I had a location, but like I had a conflict with my actress so like i lost that but then losing the actress meant tim said to her i know it's going to be beating your ass tonight yeah that's right no but like yeah just little things like that like, no, it, was she, like, it was like it was a con- it was a yeah. scheduled conflict right i had a scheduled conflict but the problem is like i had i had my location and my crew and my actress for a particular weekend but because of a confluence of events like that went away so i i tried to reschedule it and my actress couldn't do the next weekend I lost my crew, so like my mm-hmm. shoot was um, a a model who said yes, who like bless her heart, she's a great model, but she was maybe not the best person for the role, and I'm sorry to say that, but I'm pretty sure I'm not breaking her heart either because she's out at like doing a maxim shoot now. But um, <laughs> so but, like, she's crying into her money. Is that what you're right, saying? Yeah, she, yeah. She, she she's fine. Um, but like yeah, so it was the actress that that would show up when I had the location booked and none of my cohort could be there. So I had one friend, I had one friend like holding a boom mic or like holding a light and bless her heart, like she held for like 10 hours. But Mm -hmm. like, how do you expect to make a good movie out of that? And even still, like, how do I even salvage that? Like, I I remember like my set design was I took books from the library to put on a desk and make it look like it was a professor's office. And just like, it's the sort of thing where it's like, I'm playing pretend, I'm making a movie. Yeah. And just like, you can see that again in Denver Ghostbusters where it's just like, I'm working with, yeah, Mm -hmm. like I'm working, (laughs) like I'm working with what I have, but it's like, it's so like. You're working with what you have, but what you have is shit and it's boring. Yeah. You're in an abs, like a, just a completely anonymous government building or you're in like school hallways like there's nothing interesting about that like this yeah you're just working with what you have which is a dorm and like a a university Mm -hmm. and people who are in their late teens or early 20s yeah those are the only kind of stories you can make the Mm -hmm. other fall the utter folly of filmmaking is trying trying to create a convincing reality on a screen yeah 
And you don't realize how hard that is until you try to do your own production design. Yeah, and I see mm -hmm. it. I saw it with like that's the why other... there's so many. There are so many Z-grade films which take place in just depressingly shitty apartments. Right. Mm -hmm. Or the quote-unquote apocalypse, because you don't have to set design for that. I mean, the crazy thing is though, there are films that really like broke out of the mold, like. Um... So to that point, though, there's this older film called Carnival of Souls or Carnival of Lost Souls, where it's essentially was directed by an industrialist filmmaker. So he was normally doing like steel mill films and things like that. And he just decided he wanted to make a horror film, found a dilapidated uh, carnival mm -hmm. and then proceeded to make a very bizarre, very surreal ghost yeah. story that's actually yeah. very effective, even though it has all the trappings of a very shitty, low budget, like exploitation movie. Mm. Maybe it's working within your means. That might be it. Yeah, that movie is is very genuinely creepy and off-putting. Yeah. yeah. And again, talking about my own experience, I will say that, yeah, like I think the work that I'm least proud of, which you can find on my YouTube channel, is, <laughs> is, is Fermi's Paradox, which aims to be a, like, a Twilight Zone-ish kind of short. Um, you know, it's like a little ironic kind of sci-fi short. Um, but the thing that I did that turned out the best was it was just a uh, like a class assignment, which was, I don't know, for some reason, um, uh, the the third, like the Dark Knight, like that movie was really big for some reason. Like we kept coming back to it. And it was like the screenwriting thing of it. But then they took the scene of um, uh, Batman and the Joker in the interrogation room. They're like, reimagine this. Like, just give us your version of this. Mm -hmm. And I didn't don't remember seeing anyone else's, but mine was... An antagonist with a cell phone just like ha like harassing people at a bar and that's what we went out and did yeah and it was working within the constraints of the medium mm -hmm. and the funny story behind the scenes is that it's me fighting with you know an actor a cohort um like a confederate a person who was actually in on it but then there's people in the background who are like stopping and pausing and looking <laughs> just like is this guy really fighting or what's going on here did you shoot that one like um phone aspect ratio yeah yeah that's great <laughs> so that's like the one reason to shoot like like phone aspect ratio yeah of, that yeah. was the whole point of it because <laughs> like you're doing something that's different so like that one well because it's like something that you would find on someone's phone right mm, yeah yeah so i think it's, it's the problem is that maybe the notion that film students are saying i want to make a movie like i want to make something that you would see in the theater rather well, than and yeah. they're kids like half of them mm. are babies. They don't they know are, what the fuck they're doing. Well, yeah. they are paying someone to tell them like what they should be thinking. Well, but, yeah, but, but the egos certain... are also out of control too. That's well, also for that's sure. why they're one. Yeah. That's why they want to be a director in the first. And place. I think that every film school is going to be a slightly different experience. Like we had our own mix of personalities at UCLA. Like you had yours mm -hmm. in Denver around the. Ghostbusters. Yeah, the uh, Ghostbusters era of the Denver. Tim was dealing with something entirely different when he was in Sydney, where yeah. basically he was just being fucked over by the school he had paid to attend. So oh, that's a whole other yeah. story. Mm -hmm. um, so the circumstances are always going to be different, but you're also going to always have that common thread of like confused young people like struggling with skills that they've only just learned. Maybe yeah. maybe that's my, I don't know, I, I mean, I only just happened on it, but I mean, maybe that is my personal takeaway from how you should approach film school is don't make, don't set out to make a feature. Like, don't set out <laughs> yeah. to make a film like you think of as film. Yeah. 
like start from square one start from like the very basic level oh yeah yeah one of the ones that always jumps out at me because i always see like sci-fi um you know trailers people are putting out because yeah. people always do trailers hoping to make like a feature out of it mm -hmm. and the thing that always is just real harsh is the fact that they will do these long-winded exposition scenes at the start of a short where it's like i don't know these people i don't give a fuck about these people you're telling me about the entire universe around these people i haven't seen them do shit yet this lady's just sitting on a porch nothing's happened you're telling me about aliens i don't see no aliens i see a lady on a porch right so my suggestion would be rather than start with a lady on a porch maybe just start with the aliens do something with the thing you want to do and then go forward from there and maybe not worry about so much of the overarching mythology of yada yada and just yeah. have make it fun do something fun it's amazing yeah. how easily it's forgotten that film is a visual medium yeah and um visual storytelling is a skill which is very hard to internalize mm. yeah. some people have an affinity for it and some people don't yeah and going back to you know just because it's still fresh in my mind like my cohort like i felt bad about them doing the same thing i was trying to make a film where it's just like yeah i want to make a like a weird horror short or i want to make a weird sci-fi short or something and it's just mm -hmm. like i don't think that you're there yet and i'm saying that about them as much as i'm saying it about myself which is saying like you don't have the tools to do it like if you're going to like fight to schedule one room that you can't furnish with the wrong actress mm -hmm. and your one crew person like you were not like you aren't making black mirror like in this in this one long afternoon that you yeah. took to shoot this yeah that one always got me too or uh like people like making drug deal gone wrong movies because they're always <laughs> oh like, my uh, god always oh my god hands down the most popular film student genre hands fucking down yeah. oh i um <laughs> i do have a, i do have a film school story about that all right when I was at UCLA, there was a course in experimental film, mm -hmm. and I went to one of the screenings uh, at the end of the quarter. And the class that came after mine, yeah, you had some kind of um, airy-fairy visual experimentation, but then you had one which was about a guy who goes into a bar and it's a POV film and he's wearing a wire, mm -hmm. but then he gets found out. Mm -hmm. And there was a part at the end where the guy got his eye stabbed out now wow. oh the story's great now <laughs> the way that this was depicted is again because this was like a a, a lady in the lake kind of movie where uh -huh. it was all from first person pov uh -huh. so the way they depicted the eye stabbing was they stretched saran wrap over the camera lens and the person with the knife just kind of cut the saran wrap like around the edges of the frame holding the saran wrap and the teacher oh, the professor was like well, i didn't understand the shot at the end with the cutting of the plastic oh he got stabbed in the eye <laughs> i know he did oh. <laughs> god film school is so dumb yeah <laughs> i mean i did take god i forget the name of the guy um but he actually he helped me with assignment unexplained um he helped he like he he let it get uh, made as a film school project, which saved me a bunch of money. Um, but he ran a really good directing class, which was uh, he had put really tight constraints on what people were directing, which was mm. make a film that is like five shots and thirty seconds long, and it's like that is it. 
Mm-hmm. Like, no color, no fucking credits, no mm-hmm. directed by, none of that, like, ego jacking off bullshit. It's like, you're here to make a visual story in 30 seconds and five shots. Period. That mm-hmm. is a great idea. Because then you don't get into the kind of film school jacking off that you get, like, on the credits for... Um, Return and, of the gays, the, yeah. Return of the Ghostbusters. Hey, yeah. uh, I almost said Return of the Gangbusters, and I was like, no, that's not the right thing. <laughs> it's uh, you got the title wrong, Chris. It's called Denver Ghostbusters. Oh, <laughs> Denver Gangbusters. Oh. But yeah, like if you're going to film school, just so you can say sound mixed by yeah. me, yeah, sound edited by me, right? Well, directed yeah. by me, for publicity by me, yeah, me, me, me. Craft services by yeah. me and Noah's Bagels. Yeah. yeah, I never have understood that. Like, I saw that a lot in film school where people would put their names in <clears> multiple <throat> times and I never understood why they had to be in there as much as they did. Uh, well, like, IMDb? Oh, maybe. Well, again, if it's uh, if filmmaking is largely an ego trip for you rather than a medium to tell stories. Yeah, then, that's probably valid. You know, you're going to be more concerned with the part, the, with the credit scroll. And the visuals are, and the story are going to be an afterthought. Yeah, be a little desperate to think like, oh no, maybe someone will think that somebody else did this really great part of the movie and they'll skip over <laughs> me and assume that the director had nothing to do with set design or sound mixing choices. It's really important that people know that I got a bag of C-47s and I moved some lights. <laughs> Yeah. I'm a fucking grip, goddammit. Oh, yeah. I think the important thing is that when you're making a movie, you have to leave your fucking ego at the door, which yeah. is a big ask. Looking yeah. back on the experience of being at the University of Colorado in the film school mm-hmm. and this film being a product of it, do you feel like it's a fair representation? Yes. Well, that's all you need to know, folks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I can say more, but yes, it, it is accurate to the quality and content of film that came out. I think they have higher res cameras now. Would you say that this is like, I don't know, this seems to be like, ironically, the high point. Like, this is the big movie that came out of your film program. Oh, <laughs> yes, it was. But I'll, I'll tell you, there was a brief time when it was going to be another film that was being put out by the guy who ran the school. And it was a movie that was going to star Will Patton, uh, a character actor who has appeared in multiple films. Uh, he was just most recently the guy who gets killed off in Halloween, who plays, uh, spoiler warning, fuck you. Uh, it's mm. the movie in which uh, he plays Will Patton, or he's Will Patton and he plays the sheriff and he gets killed by Michael Myers. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, by somebody else who isn't Michael Myers. And uh, the thing is, is that he came out and it was all about like listening and it was all this stuff called In Here and it was all about ears and the big catch line was going to be what the fuzz because for some reason the guy who ran our school didn't want what the fuck to be in a movie Why and uh, not say that? yeah no i mean there were a lot of problems that yeah. was almost the big one because they made us all work really hard on that for about two years until will Patton saw himself on film and he's like this is the worst i've ever looked mm, yeah it was also shot by rick Waite, the uh cinematographer for uh, adventures in babysitting who at the time i think was like 86 or 87 mm. do we want to talk at all about fandom because the question is what do you get out of a film like this ghostbusters i think that's accurate like i don't think there's a lot more to this like i think it literally was just the same sort of excitement people got when they saw themselves on camera for the first time it was just these people like hey we got these suits we got these suits up on the big screen we're like we're like the real ghostbusters yeah but, but not. Yeah, really not. <laughs> yeah. 
And again, like that was uh, the thing that Chris had um, mentioned earlier about the premiere. Oh um, yeah, like it was it was ridiculous just because they like you know had everybody there to watch it and it was a big deal and you know it's it's a different thing to see a bad movie and be able to talk shit about it when the person who made it is not there <laughs> especially when you're dealing with someone like you know these people are all young so if someone was to openly shit talk this much it would like yeah, their egos wouldn't be able to handle it and it would hurt them pretty viciously so people had to sit and watch this cold and just be polite and it's fine i mean it's student film it is what it is kids worked hard uh at the same time there's like a certain degree of like pain and anguish just having to watch this that yeah like uh, the douche chills just like yeah washing over me like the, yeah. the cringe by proxy i don't know what you call that yeah it's a real it really hits your embarrassment quick yeah like a lot of fandom stuff does mm -hmm. and that's the thing and you know going back to um where we are in the in the current cultural moment you know does this prefigure a lot of today's nostalgia driven culture where like every other movie is a superhero film or a reboot um well it's, and it's the big safe thing, and people like that yeah and the big thing in movies is franchises and you know ghostbusters is a franchise mm -hmm. and you know by making a, a fan film you are kind of piggybacking on someone's work you know, someone did the hard work of world building, mm -hmm. and now you're playing in their sandbox. It's, again, it's a it's different fine. kind of me too. <laughs> yeah. It's um, you know, for example, you had people who grew up watching Doctor Who, mm -hmm. who wrote their own fan works, or maybe wrote for the you know radio plays or whatever, and now they're working on the TV show. Mm -hmm. You know, and there is something to be said about learning how to write material which is not your own. That's good to learn as a, you know, a hired hand. That's fine. But at a cultural moment when everything is so recycled yeah. and the repetition of lines verbatim from the original movie is supposed to be just as good. Like that is that is the fucking money shot. Mm -hmm. Bro, like the angry video game nerd saying, you came, you saw, you kicked its ass, mm -hmm. is supposed to be the catharsis. But there's no catharsis. It's just, it's, yeah. it's just people aping things. Yeah. Yeah, just to maintain, you know, it's just, it's chasing its tail culturally. But I, I, I think that it's because it's an easy, it's an easy win so to speak, mm -hmm. although I wouldn't call Denver Ghostbusters winning in any <laughs> regard. But it's that trying to come up with something on your own, it's like, well, that's really hard, but if you just want to have fun with something that already exists, like you're playing with someone else's toys. Yeah, and it does kind of explain a lot of, for example, like art online, like in places like Tumblr, where, you know, I'm like, I'm a professional artist, so I do post a lot of art online, but I don't really get reblogs on my stuff. And, you know, I... I'm like, no, this is good. This is professional grade work that I'm putting mm -hmm. up. And, you know, so a couple of people might like it because they ran across it. You know, the digital art tag or whatever. Yeah, you did the, but, the Inktober. You just did that. It was a lot of skulls. It was awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I did half of Inktober, but then it was stressing me out, so I had to stop. Um, <laughs> but the stuff that gets reblogged on Tumblr is fan art. Yeah. You know, and a lot of it is like not maligning it a lot of it is really fucking good and you know some of these people will go into work in animation they're gonna have to draw characters that are on mm -hmm. model you know hey okay there's nothing wrong with drawing fucking pearl and garnet 
you know it's like that's that's great but you know you're again um you're getting those eyes because you're already um you're piggybacking on a known quantity which yeah you're you're raising someone else's kid or what did i say <laughs> you're giving birth to someone else's kid where it's like oh here's this thing that you own that i'm kind of here for yeah student like fan films have always confused me and it it's one of those things like having worked at a place like Loot Crate, um, like that's all we made for a while were just fan films uh, because they would throw like $3,000 at a fan film and you know, I'm not going to talk shit about them. It was fine. Like you could tell people were having a fun time shooting that stuff, but it was also one of those things where it didn't seem like it would have much value outside just having shown stuff that were vaguely similar to stuff that we'd already seen. So it's, it wasn't really introducing us to new things. It wasn't mm -hmm. I guess there's a question of value in that is, is fan films in that context are they anything more than just advertising? No, they, they, they were plainly, for Loot Crate, it was just advertising. Like that, mm, yeah. that big money thing, they would just do that and it would be vaguely connected with stuff that was in the box because mm. they'd be able to like ask for the rights. And they wouldn't get the rights, but it would be like a wink and a nod. Like, we're not gonna sue you because you're, you're selling the alien plushie. So if you shoot something that has a like a predator in it, we're not gonna outright sue you. Yeah. You got people like rambling Wayland Yutani and then wandering around not doing very much. We're not going to have enough there to like sue you over. Mm. So, well, and, yeah. then, and then that kind of brings us, <laughs> that brings us to the question where, you know, okay, like it's, it's fandom is people playing around with, with tropes and characters and situations that they like, you know, it gives them a good feeling. But at the point where you're basically just carrying water for large corporations, you're putting mm -hmm. in your own money to advertise on behalf of these people. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that's what that, and I agree with Chris on that, and that you should be coming up with your own stuff, like rather than just yeah. going for things that are already popular, because it's like, well, this isn't really yours, and it's never going to be yours. Yeah. And but you know, and then that brings us back to the Tumblr art question, where it's like, well, how do I get? eyes on my totally unique projects like i go on vimeo and find like a million like pretty well shot short films but that one has captain america in it mm -hmm. you know or yeah is you know uh, you know where would you dig you know <laughs> just say like make the stuff that you want to make like i mean i i can always say that you can only succeed or fail on your own merits which i realize is naive but i'm saying that anyway because i believe one should succeed or fail on their own merits can we think of any really successful directors who started in this fan milieu because I think it's scarily becoming more common. Uh, who's well, the there's... guy who did American Ultra? He's pretty successful. Oh yeah, I think he's uh, a... <laughs> I think, uh, I think he, a, I think he had young... another in. Is he a friend oh. of yours, Chris? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, 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 the brilliant filmmaker of, uh, what was that? Chronicle. Chronicle. Chronicle, yeah. Yeah. Chronicle that was it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's the only one I can think of. Like, there are probably other people who have gotten starts but, as fans. But that's and... the thing. Like, he, he Max yeah. Landis did not fucking start from yeah. being like a fan, like right. in a basement, and right. it's like, oh, I really want to make movies, so I'm yeah. gonna make a little movie. But goes no, like his his dad was yeah. a fucking like multimillionaire successful filmmaker. Yeah. He's an A-list director. Who worked that with, helped uh -huh. too. Yeah, he worked with uh -huh. some literally made some of the biggest films of the 80s. Right. That was his end. I'm talking more about uh -huh. people who kind of uh I, Chris cannot escape this guy. <laughs> yeah, no, Max Landis comes up like a wraith in my life constantly. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's very much the opposite of like star sighting because usually when you see someone who's famous, there's always a story of I walked up and irritated like, you know, Ron Perlman or walked up to someone yeah. famous and irritated them. 
but in this is is are we still recording? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it but, goes the other oh, way. Oh no, I'm not stopping. <laughs> okay, but but in this but in this context, it was just that he keeps coming up in my life and appearing intrusively into my business, not opposite. Yeah, it's so, like a bad penny, this guy. Yeah, like he he's he's friends with uh, somebody who's involved with Harmontown, and he friends. treated well, he treated them nicely, I guess. Uh, but to me, he's just been consistently a problem, and we've, <laughs> we've interacted about five times. If you're listening to this, Max, fuck you. <laughs> I, I almost had to do an interview with you when I was a loot crate. I had to spend hours watching that man speak and talk and trying to find the humanity in what he was talking about. I think I managed it okay. I thought the editing thing was tough, but... Yeah. Yeah. No, it was just hours. <laughs> I, I was the one who picked that straw, and they're like, all right, welcome up, editor boy. Have fun asking these questions. <laughs> and uh, Max went off to Cal- uh, Canada to make uh, Dirk Gently and whatever the, yeah, that was. Yeah, the holistic. Yeah. So, yeah, I missed that again. I don't know. Maybe he's going to hit me with a car. Maybe that's the next thing that will happen. Yeah. <laughs> Be on the lookout, I guess. Um, But, yeah, like, somebody... Like, I'm thinking of people who, like, kind of started from... I don't want to say nothing because that, that's not the case ever in the industry. Right. Nobody comes up from nothing. There's always a degree of cronyism mm-hmm. or an in... But, you know, somebody who's like, hey, I'm a fan, and somebody knows my fan film, and now I'm directing a big movie. Which, did that happen with the Fantastic Four guy, the one who got... Trank? Yeah. Uh, no, he started on Chronicle. Never mind. Um, <laughs> actually, one that might be a legitimate person to reference would be James Gunn. Because, I mean, they weren't doing fan films, but, like, Tromeo and Juliet was basically the same level of what we're talking about, but it was fun, and it was obviously a riff on Romeo and Juliet... <laughs> But it was also put out by a production company that really, yeah, Troma. They didn't care about the quality. They cared about it being fun and coming out. Yeah. Um, It's a lot like the the Corman stable. Yeah. A lot of filmmakers came out. uh, There were a few who started at Troma. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a a good example. Like Troma, or excuse me, uh, Corman, a lot of Corman's films were basically just ripoffs of like better, higher quality films. I think it was maybe a slightly different era, like especially in in the... the Corman era, like the mass culture was very different. You did have maniacal science fiction fans and stuff like that, but I don't think these people necessarily ended up making their own features, you mm. know? Um, Cause you know, how the fuck did you get a movie seen back then? You know, you didn't fucking put it on Vimeo. <laughs> you know, you had you to know rent someone. A theater? Who, yeah, you rented a theater, you had to know like, somebody. Yeah, it was, it was George, George Romero. Like you, you shoot a film, stick it in the back of your car and take it to drive-ins until they tell you to stop coming. <laughs> like, that's what it is. But yeah, no. it's like a sl- again, it's like a. Is that what it takes? <laughs> it's very Jeez. different to, but I feel like, and I don't know if I'm wrong. And you know, if people think I'm wrong, you can in you can email info at haveyouseen.us and tell me exactly why I'm wrong because I'd like to know. I would like this to be an ongoing discussion because I actually don't know. Um, yeah, or just I was flame told, Jen on Twitter. I don't know. Don't flame me on Twitter. I'm sensitive. <laughs> well, flame HYSTE pod. <laughs> Flame Chris and ask him for an internship. I mean, they can ask me all they want. Like, if you want to work for free, have fun getting on a ladder. Like, I'll, I'll bring you in. I don't care. Just, I can't pay you. Um, if you're lucky, he might drag you on a later episode of the podcast. Um, but we still haven't thought of somebody who made the transition from. Because can you say that Hank Braxton has made the transition from fan filmmaker to? Let's not say auteur. I mean, I would say that he's been somewhat successful as a filmmaker. He's still making films. I don't know how he's affording them. I don't know how he's hmm. like funding them. But, you know, he's working. Hmm. Um, 
and uh, as far as filmmakers go i'm not sure i've ever met or know of any filmmakers that are you know people that started off as fan filmmakers mm -hmm. i know people that have worked hard on fan films and then gone on <clears throat> to do other work yeah. um there's a guy who did a lot of our stuff at uh loot crate um I'm just going to keep dropping that company's name for some reason. But yeah, like you're trying to get a free loot crate? Bro, no, no. I finally got rid of all the plastic shit they gave me. Um, mm. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, is that like he was a great guy, did a lot of hard work, uh, actually did pretty high quality fan films for what it was. Huh. But, uh, you know, it was sort of a, a thing where you could tell he was going on to other gigs there were other things he was trying to do not just be a fan film guy he was doing other stuff and yeah you know that's what a lot of the people who started there went off and did like they would do a couple fan films to kind of get their feet wet and yeah. because that's what that's the particular drum the company would push in front of you and say hit it right but then yeah. as soon as they'd leave like you know one guy went off to i think uh where did he go they uh, one of the guys went off to either ign or rooster teeth or something like that and he's doing like shorter films now that are actually fun and more like in line with what his actual interests were hmm. yeah yeah i don't know of any fan films that have gone on to become like legitimate films i haven't seen that ever thanks chris for coming on yeah thank you for having me <laughs> yeah i i definitely lived every moment of this <laughs> now remember when you see Chris on Twitter make sure to ask him if he knows where they keep the Szechuan sauce or if he knows Max oh, Landis God. <laughs> just, just go about your life enjoy the things you love and, and try to be nicer to each other <laughs>